Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Mutually Assured Destruction. The track is God of Light. This is off the record Ascension. Our guest, who will be going over a variety of subjects, Ace Stallings, who is the frontman of Mutually Assured Destruction. I want to give them some love. Record is still pretty fucking new. And... It draws from a couple different influences, I would say. You can hear some D-beat, some uh, more punk, but definitely fucking aggressive, fucking hardcore. Very cool shit. Very happy to have Ace on this specific episode where we break from the usual linear discussion and history of our guest and really just discuss some things pertinent that he had brought up on the Twitter thread, and I thought it'd be a cool way to break the usual mold. But before we get into that entire conversation, you know the deal. We do shows in Philly, so we talk about shows from Philly. Last Wednesday, 18 Visions with Steve Space Cowboy came out. People loved it. Lots of lights, lots of colors, wild shit. Really not used to seeing shows where there is a lot of that like light game going on. Risk Me Razors, big shout out to Chamber and Snake Charmer. But it was a cool show, especially on a Wednesday night at Underground Arts. For everyone who showed up. Uh, coming up this Wednesday at the yard. Broken Vow reaching out. Take it to heart. Fool's game. Sunstroke and crashing down at the yard. This is August 3rd. August 4th. Philly Mocha. Cycle of abuse. Bankrupt and scrutinize. And then August 5th. The Yuki Club. Envision. Almighty Washing. Magnitude and Garrote. Man, that's a wild group of shows. Then that this is four shows in a row. Backstabbers Incorporated, Scavengers, Facade, and Ripped Away all at the pharmacy. We got a lot of shows. I mean, it, it's actually getting out of control. Make sure you go to phillyhcshows.com. Check out. Buy some tickets. Support some hardcore shit. Uh, this is going to be a weird week because we say goodbye to our friend, Rich McLaughlin, who although had passed away in early 2020, the memorial show with Killing Time is upon us and it's a hard thing that hardcore people have to go through because so much of our culture is supporting our friends and sometimes it's a hardcore show that's a bigger turnout than the person's actual funeral I won't say that is the case for Rich McLaughlin specifically but it's always hard to go to a show when it's a memorial about someone that you known for a long time cared for and have great fond memories of so once again rest in peace to Rich McLaughlin from Killing Time from Breakdown and just for being an overall affable, awesome motherfucker. So here we go. Time to dip our toes into discussing a lot of topics that come up from time to time on Twitter, whether it's the way that bands are gravitating quickly towards management, the way young bands haven't really worked hard, in my opinion, to immediately jump into the whole getting a booking agent and playing the pro core game, as we like to call it. The affable, lovable term, pro core. It's been kind of kicked around by a bunch of us. And, you know, I've been booking hardcore shows this year for 25 years. And it's important to play by some rules. Make sure that you uh, are a promoter. You're honoring your word, keeping your keeping your or when you guarantee bands money, these things are important, and I get into that a little bit about 
the importance of guarantees so that way a band can budget appropriately when they're doing tours, but also some of the unnecessary things that come from bands from the underground trying very hard to become this professional thing before they really even need to, especially when some of the most successful and financially sound enterprises that have come from hardcore bands and underground bands have come from the people that have done more on their own or more influence and more say in their own careers as opposed to paying 15% to a management team and 10% to a booking agent and listening to everything the label tells them to do. And again, Ace had been tweeting some things and myself, Bob Wilson and other had chimed in and I just reached out and said, hey, let's talk about this on the show. So let's fucking do this. Here we go with our dissertation and discussion on the pros and cons of Procore. Today we have on the show none other than Ace Stallings. Now, for those of you who are not listening, you're fucking up. Ace has been doing this podcast called Forum of Passion. I was recently a guest. Uh, On top of this, he is a Richmond, Virginia native who is responsible for quite a few bands in the last couple years. Um, I still have multiple shirts from Breakaway, and his band Mutual Assured Destruction really stood out that the This Is Hardcore 2019 pre-show, and now they're ripping and rolling with new material. And I was sitting here reading the internet. My man was talking some sermon shit that only would happen on Twitter, and I was like, yo, jump on. We're going we're gonna to jump into this for people so we can go deeper than uh, whatever the character count is, and we'll walk this dog. So, Ace, thank you for coming on the well, show. Of course, thank you. And and as always, uh, you know, Mutually Asserted Mutually Asserted Destruction's first show was that this is hardcore pre-show. So, you know, you 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 put us on from jump, and uh, all, you know, always did me right uh, with Breakway over just you know more so than anywhere more so than anywhere else other than home. So, you know, I, 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 many uh, many a shout out to you. I mean, we we had the love for Cast Aside. We've always had love for Down to Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Richmond Phil. I mean, Punishment and Down to Nothing played together in two thousand. It's so weird to say that, That's you know, with That's uh, sick. at at, twi- at at twit at Twisters mm-hmm. with uh with Diecast and Blood Has Been Shed, oh, which is like the weirdest lineup. Yeah, but that's like, and I had the demo it was back. Um, man, long time. It was a good time. But uh, usually when we do this podcast, we go super deep into someone's whole background, and I, I do think we can get into some of that. But more importantly, because you are a promoter and you are a guy who really straddles the boundaries of what I would say where the young hardcore bands come in. I mean, you're, you're, you're tight with the candy crew. Mm-hmm. You've been tight with a couple of these bands as they come up and you've seen them. Your, your tweet was really about the depression that comes in with dealing with bands that you love your friends with from hardcore and how they're just taking this direct pro core approach. And for, I mean, as you saw with Bob Wilson jumping in, mm-hmm. me and Bob and Greg Falchetto and others directly talk about this consistently. And um, hearing it from you, specifically, I was excited to see people speak out because for me, I mean, I've cut some promos on this shit with the uh, solo podcast where I've said that I'm getting tired of merch cut Twitter, which is basically bands that go on tour, sign up for the whole deal. Hey, we're going to play 
and it, it's no it's no shade on you know Madison uh, Scow for playing Madison Square Garden, but sure. you know these bands sign up. And then they don't want to pay for the whole thing, which is like, look, you sign up, you're on these tours, you're you're supporting these bands who their agents, their management are way good with this merch cut stuff. And it's constantly this repetitive discourse that makes it seem like, oh, we don't want to be a part of it. And it's like, yo, this is this is what you have to do to if you're going to play in that world. Yeah, you, you and I was really happy. Like, you know, I was really happy to see you say, hey, I'm getting fucking tired of it because we all kind of say it quietly amongst ourselves. So now you're in it. Yeah, so from your perspective, you can give a little rundown on the kind of shows that you've been putting on and the way that you've seen things shift a bit in your perspective over the last years or two, where people are coming with these kind of different direction than you like to uh, interact with bands when you're booking the show. Sure. I mean, you, you will get that. So you, you put on a festival, Bob puts on a festival. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like y'all understand about operating within this world and like on like a, like the highest level or one of the highest levels that one can operate on. Right. So it's, but it's like a lot of the time it's, I could, I bet I could break down the lineup of like, let's say like the last FYA. Cause, cause FYA is, is a little bit different in regards to like, this is hardcore. Cause this is hardcore. You're working with like, you know, some more like legacy acts and, and, and things like that. So, so you do have to kind of go through some rigmarole. For those, but like FYA is like predominantly like, uh, you, you know, like like uh, like the bands of today festival. I guarantee most of the lineup on Bob's festival was like him texting somebody and being like, "Hey, are you available this weekend? I want to have you on FYA, you know, for like, like this weekend or whatever." Um, you know, one of the things that I've I've kind of encountered uh recently that i wasn't previously is like um that like of a lot of the show requests that i'm getting if like to put stuff on it's like you know i'll do like a one-off for like a, like like friends and stuff here but like it's predominantly agents hitting me up being like hey can you do this package and i see what the package is and i was like and, I, and i'd be like yo a couple years ago um somebody from one of these bands would have been hitting me up you, you said it yourself one time, and I'll even skew this for inflation. Uh, you said if, if you're getting paid $300 a night, you don't need an agent. I'm going to say if you're getting Absolutely. paid $500 a night, you don't need an agent. Like, you can, you can network. You can, you know, like, you can ask people, like, like you know, like, hey, who books in this town? Who books in this town? Who books in this place or whatever? And having that for me, what's appealing about hardcore is having that personal relationship is, is having that like, Oh yeah, I booked a show for those people one time. They were really cool. They had a good show. I can't wait to do that for them again. And you tell other people about it or whatever, not like this, like faceless kind of exchange with some person that works for some company that I'm never going to meet. And that, you know, I don't have any skin in the game with them and, and vice versa them for me. Um, Yo, man, I mean, like, I'd, I'd book rap gigs if that's what I personally wanted, you know, because, like, they bring in a lot of people. It, it's like that, and that's not what I want. What I personally want is, like, hardcore is important to me because it fosters community and it fosters, like, do-it-yourself eth ethic. I have learned more about self-starting from hardcore than I ever did from anything in school or, or anything like that. What was empowering to me about hardcore is I saw – 
people I knew, friends, older, my age, what have you, being like, hey, we're, we're getting on the road. We booked this whole tour ourselves. Hey, we're, we're setting up a record release show for ourselves. You know, and, and we're not having to ask somebody else to do it for us. The thing is, is, is that still happens. I just feel like it is, there's this weird imbalance of, of it happening less, maybe. No, I think you're, you're, there's, you're definitely correct. And what the thing that maybe people who are listening might be missing out on, if I had to guess, I'd say there's roughly a dozen, there's no more than two dozen, but I think the number sits between two dozen and one dozen persons who book at the professional level. When the professional level, I mean, the band pays the band, pays the booking agent, a percentage based upon the show agreed contracts, the whole nine yards. There's roughly less than two dozen people. And that includes the agents and the agents, um, assistants who need, uh, daily and weekly, uh, ticket counts and all that stuff. It's a very small cabal of people who book at the professional level and hardcore. And so what happens is for all the, all the fucking WordPress and fucking people talking about gatekeeping and hardcore. That's the gate. That's the gate. You could be a band with a, like, like a raw brigade is a great example. Punk as fuck. If you wanted to go the route of talk about the inclusion, the inclusion, uh, the, the, I mean, do they speak, they spoke at this hardcore so many times in their native language and so many kids in the crowd were elated about it. And yet, because they do not have management or a actual booking agent in that cabal, they're not even getting asked, hey, can Raw Brigade, uh, Brigade do these tours? And so to break this down for people listening, there's less than, I'll let's say, you know, there's less than two dozen people who kind of control the mainstay of what hardcore tours go around and what happens is it's a game of poker Mm -hmm. everybody has a card in their hand hey remember that last tour well i hooked your guy up you have to hook my guy Mm -hmm. up and so you're right the amount of people who could through organic and when i say organic i want to break this down it doesn't mean that you went on the internet and got popular and then you went ahead and you played your shows you built an audience you played further from your town further from your town further from your, and you're building an organic, actual, real network of people seeing you, not, oh, well, our Spotify numbers are good and we sold a bunch of demos via Bandcamp. Like, they actually did the work. A great example from our end mm-hmm. would be a band like Shackled, which yeah. still booked their own tours, yep. and they're starting to, tra- they're trying to travel regionally. They're excluded when this is the time when they should be starting to get picked up. But the only way for them to get in a game is if someone were to represent them in that cabal. That's, that's and so what, and so what happens is to people listening, these couple people will hit up an ACE or a Joe hardcore and like, Hey, we have a tour. Would you like to do it? And you're like, yeah, I'm down. And then they hit you with the names. Most of the names are going to be bands. We fuck with Mm -hmm. bands. We've been friends with, or maybe because of how long we've both been booking, We've booked the band in their previous iteration sure. or other, the other band is. Yeah. And I, I've always felt like the smokescreen is the band being like, we want to be able to get paid a fair sum or more, mm-hmm. and we're afraid to deal with a DIY promoter. Not realizing a true DIY promoter 
isn't going to do the 1980s and some of the shady uh, 1990s shit where it's like, oh, you know, it's DIY. Who cares? Like, we're going to pay you an honest fee. We're going to show you the numbers at the end of the mm-hmm. night, and we're going to walk away with something equitable so you know what you got paid. Here's your numbers. But they're foregoing this. And what really goes up my ass now is there's bands that have no organic growth. No one knew who the fuck they were when they started, but they got in with the cabal. Ooh. They got in with the cabal. Either they got in through a friend of a friend or maybe, oh, yo, can you hook us up? And if you sign your name on that line, which no one actually signs their name when they get yeah. – it's just a metaphor. If you sign up to be the band that, hey, I'll tour with whoever. You know, I just want to do it. They'll work with you quicker than they'll work with a raw brigade or a punk, more of a punk minded band. Mm-hmm. And so that's where this problem comes in. Sorry, for, I just wanted to kind of get. No, you're, I mean, like, from, everything you're saying is, is apt. Like, it, it's like that. That is the thing is like, you know, you you see a band doing. Raw Brigade is a prime example. And like, they're on Sound of Fury this weekend. It's going to be awesome. Every event they play is awesome. Every time I've seen them, it's awesome. They're like a, a like the definition of like what hardcore is. That band plays America more than some American bands play America. And they're from another country, you know? Uh, but the thing is, is like, no, they're, they're not going to get on, you know, what X larger tour unless one of a couple things happen. Um, either some kind of or some kind of agency tries to scalp them, which I, you know, I mean, like, I, like who knows what would happen there? But I, I could see Robert Gay being like, "No, we kind of do our own thing," or um, a bigger band that has a lot of pull that's on like the tour is like, we want them specifically. They are going to have to say, "We want that specific band." Otherwise, what an agency is going to do is they're going to look through their Rolodex and be like, okay, who wasn't on the last one? Are they available? Okay, throw them on. You know, it, and which is not organic at all. And this is supposed to be an organic, grassroots, handshaking genre of music, you know? Um, and this has always existed, this thing we're talking about. But now it is, it is um, it's more widespread. It's... And I don't really know exactly. Somebody brought up a point in that thread that was, and I think this was happening pre-lockdown, but I, I think one of the things that, I don't know, I'm just saying, I'm not being conspiracy theory guy here or whatever, but they were saying that as last summer was occurring and like, you know, a lot of shows back were like hitting like real big come June, July, you know, whatever. Um, the, you know, to the point where it's like everybody had a, uh, been locked away for a long time. So whatever event was happening, they're showing up to. Well, and and that could be people that are like, I don't even really know what this is, like the LA shows or something, but I'm going. Like stuff that makes the news or whatever. Well, who pays attention to like a lot of people, you know, getting together? People that want to make money. So they're seeing this world of like, oh, every event that's happening around this world is looking pretty hot, looking like a lot of eyes are on this. How do we, how do we get in here and, and, you know, make some bills, you know, off this. And I don't know if that's, that's what happened, but, you know, logic would serve that you, you know, you, you see where the fire's at and you, you want to go there to get warm. I would thought that the reactions to hardcore were really instigated by people who were sitting at home with nothing but the internet. Mm-hmm. TikTok was a huge Avenue. Sure. And I mean, to the point where, 
there was a bunch of jokers who came to the fest this is hardcore and were trying to like film from the stage with like their phones for TikTok mm-hmm. shit and like the YouTube content creator not the term hardcore content creator is like yo that's a pornographer <laughs> <laughs> hardcore, you know that's not a. If you if you come to a hardcore show, you're not the cre- you're not the content creator. No. Hardcore is the scene, yes. and and I, so I think, I think that at first you're definitely gonna have people that feel like, who are just might as well be as lost as the Kardashians is wearing a sick of it all hoodie. Sure. Oh, <laughs> oh man, this is the next. Yeah. This is gonna be the next thing. Not realizing is this is the established. This is the established way that all great things have come in the last 40 mm-hmm. years. If there's no if there's no underground punk, there's not the Nirvanas, there's not any of this stuff. Everything at some point you can relate back to something that came from this culture yeah. and it's been it's been kind of you know, uh you know, it's not equitable. We can't you know really market this stuff and yet yet you see it more and more now. I feel like people who are unaware that it has a ceiling and it's a glass ceiling Think, oh, you know, I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to make waves. What I do know to be a fact is a lot of small venues were sheltered. The SVOG didn't cover everybody. And from the last 10 years, more small venues have seen the takeover from Live Nation, from AEG. Uh, And there's a lot of people who, and this is probably a good way to break in this, like um, a lot of people go from being, Fuck the man, fuck the man to, hey, hey, maybe that man can help us out, too. I don't mind, you know, hey, the man looks out. Like, the average band that does a show in rooms above 500 persons are going to deal with some AEG Live Nation stuff. In fact, anything at the 1,000-person level, you're going to have a tour where some guy in an office or a gal, sorry for, you know, picking one or the other, but somebody's going to pick... Hey, I'm gonna buy 20 of these shows on this tour, and then the booking agent's like, "Fuck yeah, I just sold 20 shows without having to do anything." Oh, I and then those—that's what happens. The Live Nation or the AEG, depending on who butters that bread of that booking agent, when you get to that level, if they have a good relationship, they say, "Hey, we have a tour coming through," and they go, "Oh, what are we looking at? What's the routing like?" And they try to buy as much of that over the other one mm-hmm. at the bigger levels. And it's the quid pro quos. Now, what's crazy is, and what I, something I learned a couple years ago is, both companies buy small acts early on. They don't care if they lose because what they say is to the agent, hey, last show we lost $4,000 on your band. You owe us to bring back. In, in show booking, the term is called building history. Okay. So what's the – so – if you build up at our level, which is like you know anywhere from a hundred persons to maybe five hundred yeah, persons, that's shows, about my rank. We're, bu- we're we're building organic growth in the band, and I hate to use the term market, but in our area, sure. we're building an audience. If this band is coming on its way up, and we have a history now at the level that we've been doing shows at, it comes a time where the band grows beyond the rooms that we can work mm-hmm. in. Occasionally, the room that's bigger will say, hey, do you want to come in and co-promote? And then they throw us a couple hundred bucks, and we put the, our name on the flyer, and we stay with our band that we watched in the 100-person, 200-person, 500-person room. And that's what—that's the best that a person, like a promoter like you or I could yeah. do, was be along for the ride while the big fish takes a bite. But what happens is, is 
the sooner that they can get in, and this happens less for hardcore, more for more um, like the the rap, the pop. Yeah. Is they buy the show, they don't care if they lose. Then when the agent comes, hey, we have this tour. They go, oh no, no, the last time we lost a couple thousand. You owe you owe us now that this band is growing. Interesting. And and that's just one of the crazy things that these companies do. So I do think that there are people who are entering our space who have no have no real any expert idea about it or just think, oh man, this must be a great youth culture, not realizing it's every couple of years it's another it's another generation's youth that's culture. That's true. And they're definitely buying into it, but also with the exposure that the internet's given from them giant LA shows, yeah. the the thousands of hours that every human being who had nothing to do with hardcore watch hate five six have has a big part to play. And just Instagram and social medias in general that have videos have really helped put hardcore into a light with people who had no idea. I definitely think that's valid, but I think the bigger issue is nobody wants to fucking work. The band that the band that could do exactly what you said. Hey, you know what? Let's go play Chicago. Do we know anybody? No, let's ask somebody. Mm-hmm. Why bother asking? Why bother build a network? And and for those, we did a couple podcasts on this with Dysphoria, with Mikey Hoods, oh, yeah. where we talked about like, um, and and I could tie this into Black Flag did it in the end of the seventies into the early eighties, where Dukowski and Jen created basically the Oregon Trail of punk oh, rock yeah. report. Uh, touring. Really the and they brought the Meat Puppets and Sonic Youth and all these yeah. bands all through the countries. Because they built these tour routes through just randomly cold calling, finding where shows are at. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Did you ever see the thing where the Sex Pistols, like the settlement for a show that they sold out in San Francisco and they basically got ripped off like thousands of dollars? No, I didn't know. Well, oh, you gotta, I'll, I'll send you it. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing where you can look it up where it's like a settlement for a show. And it looks like the show sold out. I figure it's like eight, maybe a thousand persons. Mm-hmm. And you look at how much, how little they got paid for this U.S. show. You're like, oh, they're getting fucking ripped off. There are people like I had on the show, like Tim Bohr, who came in early and tried to protect hardcore punk from some of it. But a lot of what happens now is, why do three U.S. tours and no one know me? Or if I just call this person and say, hey, um, would you want to book my band? And then they just sit back and then they talk about merch cuts on Twitter. They complain like, oh, and they and they pontificate on what it's like to, you know, quit their job to go on tour. And it's like a lot of these bands doing this, they're not at the thousand dollar a night no. pay. Mm-hmm. They're not at the if they headline in our in our cities, which is Philadelphia, Richmond, and now that you're in the mm-hmm. Bay, these bands aren't playing their own five hundred person headliner shows yet. And yet they're acting like this on Twitter in a kind of way of like, look how great I am while the silent workers are still working, still hustling. And the sad thing is the code oranges, the turnstiles, the harm's ways, the twitching tongues, mm-hmm. all the bands. I mean, even trapped under ice, like all these angel does, all these bands that really have proven to build a name terror. Exactly. Oh, yeah, like, they, could go on and on about the band. to get to a point. They weren't kind of just dropped and, in there by anyone, you know? And, and 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 to talk to your thread, that's why I said about Converge. Mm-hmm. Converge has had the same booking agent from the time that they really needed a booking agent, Matt Blake. Yep, Matt Blake. They've had like you know, and they've never had a manager. Mm-hmm. They've never had someone take fifteen percent of their merch sales, of their record sales, of anything, because they're smart enough to know what they need to do as a band to make their own decisions. And I mean, granted, 
converges high art for some people. Sure. It's you know still you know they have that ability, but they still built themselves up. And yet, what happens in the manager class is again now we take a different but tied in cabal of people who are also playing poker. All right, well, listen, we just hooked your number one band up, you know, like your new band up with our tour. We need to, and it's constantly this game of pass back and forth each other, these connections, and leaving a giant swath of bands out of the picture. And so that's why the bands who want to come in, some of them are getting hip to the idea, why work? Why hustle in a van? Why why do all this work? And, you know, maybe you might play in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you go through the kid and he gives you a door deal. But if you went through the booking agent, you don't have to even know the guy at the Tulsa, Oklahoma show because they know, and you can sit around and just tweet about how hard touring yeah. is. Well, you know, I've so there's two there's two things that to kind of your point your point there. One, one is kind of like a, a reason not to do what you're talking about. And the other is kind of a question based off of something that you said. You know... <clears throat> Say when punishment started, you had been like, "All right, we want to go." And punishment played a, out a lot, so it's like we want we want to yeah. play out a lot. So we're gonna. Um, I hear about this guy at this company. My friends' bands use him to book stuff. Let's just go with him, and he'll set everything up, you know, and and what have you. Then you don't form relationships like you would otherwise. So would would you and powerhouse? have like been as like connected if like you hadn't kind of formed that bond of like the people that they were friends with doing the show for y'all and then you vice versa maybe maybe not though you know if it was just kind of mechanic through some third party who doesn't really care unless the numbers are good you know it, it's like it, it, does does that kind of does like you know like people need to understand that value that value the connections you know i've had so a ton of people on my podcast and one of the things that i notice is so many of them fondly talk about a specific run that was like organically put together like i like, you know friends yeah. of people out here in the bay and one run they talk about a lot is the um i want to say it was i could be getting the lineup wrong but it was like jesus peace uh vamakara maybe Hands of God, Near the Night. I think Jukai was in there somewhere. I might be wrong, but it's some kind of lineup like that. And a lot of them talk about how strong friendships formed with people from the East Coast based off of that. Well, it, it, it's like that. that's people coming together because of a, of a secret society, you know, like a, of, of a network of people and everything. That wasn't, to my knowledge, set up by, you know, some some higher you know, like company or something like that. So that's, that's one thing is that it, it is better to form that organic, it, like that more real relationship. Like, like this is what we are a part of is something beautiful and we should keep it that way and keep it real. And, and, and this might be falling on deaf ears for somebody who's like, I just want to play in front of a lot of people and make money, which if you're playing hardcore, I mean, I used to be able to say, you're in the wrong place, man, but it, it could happen now, you know? So I don't know. But, uh, and then the, the question I had for you is this, you talk about the bands like a shackled who's not getting the, who's not getting like, I mean, they got, you know, if, I, if we're going to go metric wise, I've checked it out somewhat recently. They have good monthly listeners and people that are shackled fans like shackled a lot. You know, they don't, they don't need, you know, like they don't need somebody to help them out. They seem to be doing fine on their own. But do you think that the possibility, I could be being too optimistic here, 
of like people being like kind of getting wise to what you're talking about and be like, Hmm, it seems all the same bands kind of play the, the same tours over and over kind of thing. You know, like we should kind of like, just like operate like away from that. Like, like the, like, I know, like, I don't know. I saw this summer, like, uh, like, like Warren did a whole tour like on their own. And like, you know, my friends in like gag, they, they, they do that all the time and on the punk side of things. It's, it, the ethos becomes a little bit different, but you know, my question is kind of like, do you think the possibility of people kind of being like, wait a second, we're getting kind of iced out here, but we have, you know, like we, we've got the juice. So like, we don't need them. Or is it the kind of thing where it's too easy to just be like, well, since we're doing pretty good on our own, maybe it's just time that we get somebody to to bump us up to the next level. It comes down to people like you and mm-hmm. I, and it comes down to people like Bob Wilson and and people who can speak from experience. Yeah. Uh, if you are able to speak from a position where you say, and 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 I hate to I hate to ter- use the term, but it's the truth. As I say it a lot in the podcast, you can do all this shit yourselves. And I try to empower these kids to understand. I was 19 on my first U.S. tour. I wasn't even 20 years old booking my first U.S. tour with Punishment. Mm-hmm. And our whole stupid goal of the band was because we toured with Dysphoria. The following summer, we wanted to go back out and do the same thing just with our own band. Yeah. At 22, I had a hand in helping uh, Royce Lee, who was working with Powerhouse, fill in dates for the dates that they already – like he knew what was strong for Powerhouse – we knew it was strong for punishment, and we worked. And then the following summer, Ringworm Punishment and Shattered Realm were all supposed to do it, but Shattered Realm, they had a, a fallen out, and they decided not to do that tour. Mm-hmm. Basically, me and Frank Three Guns booked the Punishment Ringworm tour. I'm 22 years old talking to Frank Three Guns on the phone about shows. I'm like, this is fucking sick. <laughs> and to this day, we're friends because of it, to talk to what you were saying Precisely. about. Every, everything about touring as a hardcore band is a shared odyssey we're in this together your van breaks down we got you oh you need to borrow gear we got you and what i found in recent time is people tour and play shows together and they slyly compete and brag about oh i sold more merch like, or this and they talk about metrics and numbers when we i never knew what bands did no. i never asked how much so many sold no. But what has what we have to do now is to, to have these kind of conversations, which is why I want to have you on, to explain to people, no one controls the entire hardcore scene. Not you, not myself, mm-hmm. not the 24 people with their tours, because there's far too many people who just want to see shows. And if you ask the average kid, the average hardcore kid, if you go to a big club, they don't like the barricade. If they go to a house show, some people don't know that your shows happen or like, oh, I don't want to, me, I don't want to go to a fucking sure, basement. Yeah. I'm, dire, yeah, I'm, dire, I'm done with the basement. But that being said, everybody in the middle, which is a giant part mm-hmm. of it, they'll go to, as proven with COVID, they're going to go under a fucking highway. They're going to care if there's fire. Yeah. They're going to go to the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania for the first Philly hardcore barbecue show that Bob did that somehow had like six or 700 kids yeah. there because it was the show they could go mm-hmm. to. They will go... It's the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. If you book the show and you promote it and you are working with a hardcore kid who knows his area, they will give you the best show that they're able to do. The fear factor is not being part of the pro core circuit. 
you're like diminished to a lower tier. Now a shackled, they're in there. They're just happy to be in the fucking game. Which more people like the raw brigade. This is that's my opinion, but and 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 that's the thing is we have to change the narrative away from what you want to do is get a manager and then that way even though you're only making $250 a night with this guarantee and you have merch cuts you know sooner or later if you do enough support you'll be able to do and, 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 and play your fucking cards write the best songs that you can tour with your fucking friends and every time you get on that stage make every person who watch you love it and you'll never have a fucking problem no. never have a fucking problem but what happens is the chatter and the communication through Twitter takes precedent and seeds in the kids' heads. Oh, we have to. I mean, this makes the most sense, right? Like, we want to follow in their footsteps. And there's a lot of footsteps no one's seen. And there's no footsteps that even the people that are doing this pro core talk all the time on social media, they don't even know the steps. They're not even at that, yeah. let alone the Dukowski. They don't know that what Terror did when they did their first tour with Death Threat and Over My Dead Body in 2002, 20 years ago. No one at the age they're at can conceptualize that all of these bands built up from nothing with very few of the structures that exist now. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when you come out and you say, you know, this shit gets, you know, it's getting to me. It's like, yeah, it's getting to all of us because if we don't speak out and it's not diminishing the people that have these managers and booking agents. It's saying that this is not the only thing that matters. This isn't the That's only true. valid way to exist as a band, you know? You know, the thing is, too, is like uh, kind of what you're talking about here is is that like, okay, yeah, I want people to um, do whatever they want to do, you know, you know, what have you. Uh, that, 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 that's fine. But, but I think the thing is, is that like, okay, what differentiates hardcore music from metal, which I love and like rock is that like, it's, this is like, Oh no, we over here, we do this. We do this together. We do this on our, we do this on our own. Like we, we we're pulling each other up. We're like, we're, we're making the connections. We're, we're putting people on ourselves, you know? It you can always tell when a band is, um, I don't really. I'm trying to think of a way to put this, but like, you can see a band on stage and you're like, yo, that band might have good streams. That band might sell records. They got no friends. They got nobody that actually really cares about them on like a deeper level than just going to see them. You can tell, and then you can tell the exact opposite you know here's yeah. an example a band that you could put at the top of most hardcore bills right now from from your area gridiron you can put gridiron at the top of most gigs and you're probably going to get a couple hundred people at the show if not more and the set's going to go off that is just friends playing music together and that like their friends are like into you know and so it's like, that is cool. You take a look at a band like Mind Force. I got a text from Mike Shaw this week that, and you think, and like for the people listening, Mind Force is a big hardcore band. People really like Mind Force. He texts me, he's like, hey man, like, what should we ask people for shows? And like, and, you know, and mind you, we're talking about a band that has insane sets, and they're, one of their own members is like, no, nah, I don't, you know, like, what do you think is like fair, you know? And that, that's not some random person 
that's never going to, you know, that might go to the one of their shows, maybe if they're in town, somewhere else works for some company determining that for them. That is somebody in one of the hottest acts right now being like, oh, yeah, we just do this. We do this on our own. And, you know, and, and that's that's real. That's why hardcore is cool. Hardcore is cool because of stuff like that. It, it's not cool when someone's like, hey, uh, you give me 10% or 15% or whatever, and I'll make sure you play with, you know, X, like, magazine band on, like, at an opening slot where no one's going to be there. No one's no one's showing up till two hours after doors anyway. So you're playing to nobody. But you'll be on the flyer. It's like, yo, who wants that? I, I certainly don't. That's just me. But, no. So that's what you're saying is you're preaching to like the the heart and soul of why I love Mind Force. I mm-hmm. mean, they've got these these people have been in bands that people just didn't even take a look at. And I always pick on Jay. I said if you were if you were built like me, they wouldn't know that you're forty something years old, young man. <laughs> they think Jay's a little kid, so they let it go. It's funny when but, people's like, "What are they in their mid twenties?" It's like, no, 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 no they no. are not. And and the thing about it is that's the that's the way you do business with the mind force. Mike showing them are like, uh, old school style. Uh, how about this? Okay, we can make that happen. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no, and 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 it's a good time to break this down. When you deal with a booking agent, if you're dealing with a package tour, what happens is is that Kabbalah people decide. All right, these are the three bands supporting the headliner. The number comes in. We're going to use thousand dollars as the simple. Oh, it's a thousand dollars for the three bands. They're going to ask you, "Hey, we've got a thousand dollars to pay for support. We want to pay these guys about three hundred bucks in catering. So send us an offer." If you're a promoter and you're young and you don't know, that doesn't mean a thousand for all four. It means a thousand for the three, and you have to basically send your best offer for the top band. And if you're in a contested space, if you offer fifteen hundred when somebody offered twenty five, mm-hmm. depending on the relationship that you have, depending on the strength of your shows in your scene, it could be as as small as two fifty or as wide as a thousand. I have I have a good relationship with bands, but I've been booking shows for twenty five years here where we've dealt with a lot of bands at smaller levels before they've got to the point where they're getting mm-hmm. that, where they'll say, all oh, right, it's less money. But usually if it's less money in the guarantee, they get more in the back end when it does sure. well. However, money becomes a huge aspect of that guessing game. So when you could deal with a mind force and they're like, oh, this is fair. And you know, it's fair. I've also been good with, Hey, you know, they, we, they said, you know, like when we did the year of the knife show, they asked for this. And when we settled, we gave them more, and their eyes lit up. And it's like, yeah, you get a little Always more. Always a good feeling. You know, not – Always. Yeah, and uh, a long time ago, now, believe it or not, I did a show with Angel Dust, Give, and H2O was the headliner. Mm-hmm. And I went back and forth with Matt Pike, who's a friend of mine. I'm like, nope. And I, and I fought over $500 less as the total guarantee for the package. At the end of the night, H2O made about 800 bucks more than their guarantee. Had I not fought for the five hundred, they would have got three hundred bucks more, and they'd be like, "Oh, that's cool." But giving a band eight hundred dollars more at the end of the night, they're happy. They feel like not only have they hit the mark they were hoping to get financially because these guys are on tour, they're paying flights, they're paying for hotels, but they're like, "Fuck yeah!" Like an extra reward. And a lot of these booking agents now they want to squeeze every single last dollar in it because they know 
somebody who is holding, uh, is doing shows across town, they're going to give you more money because they're going to take money that comes from that bar register that us hardcore promoters who don't have the bar yep. receipts to pay yep. off. We only work over the door. Mm -hmm. They know what's leverage. And what I've done as a promoter is go, if you're willing to walk away over $500 to go somewhere else. See you later. Just don't come back yeah. to me. Just don't come yeah, back to me next time. Let's let's right. we'll shake hands. I'll say hi. How are you doing? Yeah. But I, I, you're here for the money. You're not here for the shows that we put yeah. on. And you know we've gone back and forth with bands where for years we didn't work with them because they went that route and then they come knocking on the door. Dude, we love to come back. And I'm like, oh, you're done getting all the 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 bar money. You want to come and actually do a hardcore show? Yeah. And sometimes you have to get to that point. And I'm not saying everybody has to, but a lot of the times. A lot of the times when this fucking shit happens, it's the it's the agents knowing that the hardcore promoter is going to offer less. They're already like eye rolling because, yeah, these people sit in an office and they sit on their cell phones. They love going to lunch together. They love taking off from about December 1st to January 30th because of the holidays. Shut down thing, yeah. They just shut down for two months for Christmas and whatever. And I, I fuck with them like, oh, you know, shame thing your cell phone doesn't work the minute it's the holiday season. But what happens is they are working a lot on commission versus hourly. Oh. So they need the fucking every dollar. Mm -hmm. So this is the other thing you're dealing with as a promoter who is thinking about your scene. These kids are going to love this fucking band or, man, I haven't seen this band. I love this band so much. That fucking fifth, that $500 is $50 more for that person. That $1,000, another 100 bucks. And so when you're working against a commission rate person for the most part, who that $100, <laughs> I think they probably make 65 because if they're working for an agent, they're not working for them like an agency. Yeah. They're not making the full no. money. So and they're taxed. It's a whole mm -hmm. thing. We're we're as simple hardcore promoters dealing with a much larger entity that's not designed to build relationships with small promoters, but to accelerate the rate of progress for potential higher revenue. Yep. And so when that's why we are always going to be pushed out. And so the only thing you can do is leverage yourself in your own area to be a value so the people who are playing, and I'll use the air quotes hardcore here, still want to work with you even though there's better money out cross town. Right. No, and, and so it's funny you bring that up. So I like I'm I'm working on something that's coming up where uh you know I, I will say this for um kind of like an like an agent exchange, it's been totally fine. No, you know, some people are easy to work with. Some people, it, it's like more back and forth. That's life, you know. Like that's that's just what happens. But you know, it's funny, like when you talk about kind of like what the agent is asking for, and then when you talk to one of the members of the band, you know, I had an agent be like, "Hey, like you know, want this gig for this date, blah blah blah. Like you got room for an opener, you know, whatever, you know, have you, um, set it up." Then time later. One of the members of the band hits me up and he's like, hey, we're excited to play, you know, there, whatever. Um, you know, like, w would uh, would this band, would, would actually, they asked if MAD, would, would MAD be able to play? And I was like, ah, you know, I'm not going to be back, uh, I'm not going to be back east then, and I, I don't know if our guy that lives in New York can come down for this show. Um, and they're like, okay, like, what about, what about Killing Pace? And I was like, ah, you know, I was like, man, I, I already got an opener for this gig because the agent never never said that 
you know, like y'all had some suggestions or whatever, had I known ahead of time that maybe, maybe I would have done it. And it's kind of like, it, there's an instance of where I'm sure the show will be fine and everybody's going to have a good time. Everybody's going to get paid fine and people are going to, you know, have fun. But it's like, you know, this is something that like, if I've been interacting with like the individual, you know, you're, it, you have a, just a different report. If you were talking to, for example, you talk about the H2O gig. If you were talking to Toby one-to-one, and I know you have a relationship with Matt Pike, so maybe it's a weird scenario. But like, if you're talking to Toby one-to-one, and he was like, well, there's this other promoter that's offering this amount of money. Well, you're offering this like $500 less, but we know your shows are banging. Obviously, that that per- the agent doesn't necessarily know. They might know, but they may not know. But the band in in that level, you know, when you're playing, you know, places like First Unitarian, when you you know when when you're doing stuff like that, it's like. It's like yo, you can you can operate it there. It's it's a weird it's a weird coin. It's a weird two sided coin uh, because you know on on one hand when bands are kind of like at age two lows, um, you know we're not even them. I feel like I feel like if Toby wanted to, he could probably book them himself. You know, um, so they're kind of a weird example. But I guess I guess it's like if you're trying to make a band your job then yeah i get you not wanting to do the legwork on on that thing on like that side of stuff but if you're like oh, if you're like somebody who's like i'm in a hardcore band and i just want to play then you're giving up autonomy for potential opportunity um but it's like you said earlier pe- people don't want to work you know well it, well at the, at the younger level and and i guess playing devil's advocate you know uh we had a cdr spool oh plastic that's what we had we had cassette tapes and we had the spool i don't even know if we ever i don't even know i never sold merch during punishment so i imagine someone got handed a cd like here's your dollar here's your cd and that was the end of it um you can't complain you know it's like you don't want to be two old guys going and this fucking internet ruined everything of course not i mean but at the same time it, 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 it accelerated mm-hmm. things. But one thing that is absolutely finite is those numbers. Yeah, people listen, but do they buy tickets? Because, you know, I'll tell you what, I don't know a single hardcore band with 50,000 listeners a month who are playing 500-person shows once a month. Very rarely at the headliner. Mm-hmm. People listen. But they don't at the at the digital level of the streaming, and fuck you, Sonny, because we have this argument once a week. Everyone's in a blue moon. It's like, well, maybe if this digital access was removed, more people would be determined to come and see a live show. Like the reason why comedy clubs do well is you get the intimate experience of seeing someone in a hundred and twenty person yeah. room. Bob Wilson took me to see Kevin Hart work out. Like just like play around, oh, sick. and I was like fanboy and like, oh my god, this is yeah. so cool. But I've also seen very big show uh, comedy shows as well. The reason why comedy is always going to be supported is there isn't a way unless they do a Netflix special for you to see that set. Mm-hmm. You're either seeing that set that happens at one organic time, and people who follow comedy do that. In hardcore, there is these avenues. There's oh, well, I'll listen to the record, or oh, you know this. For me. The thing I'd like to see is bands understand, and I've said this a couple times in my podcast, so people who have listened, 
when you are seeding yourself, when you're building your band, you're making those connections like Ace brought up. Everything that I learned in punishment was like my high school into my college years. If, if we're going to go that route, like that was my high school sure. was punishment. Yeah. And then into the shattered realm and working with our five productions and learning their show was like my college to understand all these fucking pieces. And the shit I didn't know that I learned around Sean and Shattered Realm made me go, fuck, I fucked everything up with Punishment, you know? But by learning and building these relationships, had I not done the tours we did with Punishment, the successes that were few, the failures that were many, there would be no This Is Hardcore. Because every person who I met along that road through that time legitimately have a place in that fest. From, you know, like, and I, I, it's not a, it's a weird thing, but like, Tomorrow night in Philadelphia, 18 Visions plays Philadelphia. And you have a well, the first time they came. Like you go back. To like yeah, the, wash your- yeah, the first time. Yeah, the first time they came through Philly, they stayed at my mom's mm-hmm. couch. Like uh, Kill Switch Engage, Unearth, as all this, and I, and this is a great way to segue into this, as all these bands were changing the way hardcore was perceived. We were friends with these bands because those are the bands that Punishment were able to play right. with. There was we couldn't play with the Floor Punches; they were breaking yeah. up. We, you know, like we had a weird quasi world, but when I saw a lot of these bands coming up, I knew that their pedigree was this band played from this show. They played these hall shows and they built their name up. Nowadays, when that term core, that suffix is added to something, it came from like the warp tour, which should be its own fucking whole genre. Like it's not metal core, it's pop metal. Right. It's not pop punk. It's pop music. But yet the suffix core, even that when these lazy assholes who were writing those whack magazines in the early 2000s didn't know who Quicksand was. So they deemed all these metallic things that were playing the Warp Tour as post-hardcore. And that's, and that's been weirdly cemented as that is what some people's entire perception of what post-hardcore is, is yes. like Norma Jean and things like that. Like that. And it's no, it's metal. It's metal for pop yes. people. It's pop metal. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that I watch come up. And what the argument is, is, oh, well, you know, they used to play. And uh, if you'd never listened to an episode with Zach Thorne, we had a funny story about um, Ages of Man, Shattered Realm, Punishment, playing in Chicago with Avenged Sevenfold. I did listen to this episode. They, they were not excited about playing a hall in, in Chicago, and they don't remember the show. However, all of us remember how of a large rock band was upset that we were playing CeeLo instead of watching their whack band. However, we had did shows for Under Oath. We've done shows for bands at a smaller level. I will not call Under Oath a hardcore band because they're a giant band. Yeah, well, they're not hardcore. I mean, sonically, they're not hardcore. You know, it's... And it never were, but what happens is, and this conflates the thing, hardcore from the earliest stages was the easiest room to play. Yes. What's the bar? Oh, you're a band? Come play. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and granted, yeah, the dudes from Metallica, High Racks, the list go on and on. Every metal every metal band was hip to Chromags. They were hip to all this sure. stuff because it was all kind of coming up together. But let's not, let's not, um, let's not start calling corn hardcore because they toured with uh, Sigma. Not at all. Let's not, no. you know, like, but uh, even though, you know, Civ, Deftones played a lot together, no one's calling Deftones a hardcore yeah. band. Yet, at the same time, some whack fucking band plays some fucking hall shows before they get big, 
and everybody's quick to go ahead on the internet and say, oh, well, you know, they did. No, 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 no. They just had nowhere else to fucking yeah, don't, don't reinvent and, history. You've told me before, too, that you were like, oh, that's where like new metal bands and stuff played because they couldn't get shows other places. Because the people who were the cabal at the time had connected with the management. All those all those bands had management before they really had an audience oh. because someone prospectively was like, this is going to be something. Okay. Now, granted, obviously, Serge, who was in Quicksand, would join Deftones for the tour. Like, there are legit friendship connections in those sure. groups, but no one conflates Deftones with being in line with uh, Quicksand, Gorilla Biscuits, are sick of it all, except for that they, they all know each other and they're friends. Yeah. But what happens is, through the connections of that cabal in the 90s, Cole Chamber and these dumb fucking bands play with the Victory Tour and they play these random shows because the people that they knew were connected with the few people who booked the few hardcore bands in the 90s that actually had real booking agents like Bay Ridge Talent and other people. Mm -hmm. So that's how these shows happen. But at no point were these bands satisfied in feeling a part of the hardcore scene. And as I said on your thread... The funny thing is, there's a lot of bands, Life of Agony won't be in one yeah. of them, uh, VOD being another one of them, where they did their best at a time to go beyond the hardcore scene. That's what you told, you told me. It's kind of like they're they're sort of like them and like Biohazard, and maybe like a rewritten. They're rewritten in history in a way. Well, because Biohazard, and I just had Danny on the show. If you, if I actually feel bad for Biohazard because they're like. They did this. They did so much work to get to where they were mm -hmm. at, and then they were burnt out. And instead of taking that, they got pushed and pushed and pushed till they fell uh, apart. Okay. And I mean, when your band sells legitimately a million records on a, on a one sure. record, you're going to be pushed in different Definitely. avenues. The thing that I found interesting dealing with them when they did their "Hey, we're trying to get the wheels back and going," they really didn't have. The prima donna, the oh, it sucks. We're doing this. They were elated to play somewhere like a kung fu. What year was that? When, do, when did that happen? So the first time they were trying to get it back together was late two thousand eight into two thousand nine, okay. and then Billy and the band split from Evan. Okay, and then that that slowed their tracks down. They were trying to get it back mm -hmm. then. And then in 2014, they settled on Scott, who had played in a bunch of. I bands. remember that he began fronting, yeah. it. and and that's why. That's why they started kicking back around. And as you see with Scott's band, The Take, Scott chose he wanted to do more of an oi thing. Oh, that's Scott's band? Oh. Yeah, it's Will Shepler from Manball and Scott. Did, had no idea. I mean, I know what The Take is. I just yeah. didn't know the connect. Okay. All right. Yeah, and cool. so Scott and them wanted to do more of that, and Biohazard like, well, we're not really much of an oi band. That's true. And um, so what happens is, is, Hardcore kids through the dust of time. Oh, this band's always been hardcore. And it's like, I can tell you when Life Agony was playing small shows. I can tell you when they were headlining and selling the truck. I can tell you when the singer from Ugly Kid Joe came back and sang for them and they were doing Plexiglass Gates and all the old oh, shit, shit again. And you're like, fuck, thank God they're not playing all that weird stuff. And now kids love the weird yeah. shit. And you're like, this fucking shit sucked well, live. But and it's funny you talk, you talk about that because it's like, okay, I love, I love LOA. And I like, I like love kind of like that, like that, like Brooklyn sound at the time, you know, whatever that that's real big for me. But I recognize that if I had like maybe like been a little more around for it and experienced kind of like them kind of being like, Oh, we're trying to get away from this, this world or whatever. Uh, you know, I would have been like, Oh, ew. Like, 
like yo bro it's like you 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 have all these people that are like like that are down with you and that can that can like kind of that is you know support you and and like and, and you're trying to like kind of turn your back on them like why would you do that you know i remember when i was younger i'd, I'd be like really offended when i felt like a band that like was part of like our world would like would like do that now that i'm like more mature i recognize that like sometimes they're it's they're not directly trying to do that they just end up getting attention from other places but you know for me you kind of talked about like like i remember when i interviewed you, you talked about stuff that was like around that you like didn't like it like at the time um and like you know when you talk about how like loa kind of like change stuff up and, and like that wasn't cool uh for me not hardcore at all but it's like it's interesting what you don't like because of context a lot of people now like uh like love blink 182 um i can't stand that band because at when i was younger um they were like like i'm getting into punk and i was like why why do like jock kids at my high school like this band so much that's like not like punk to me or whatever. And they were like everywhere and everybody seemed to enjoy it. And like, it just seemed so mainstream and like not punk to me that I couldn't get down for years. I like, I, when I was young and dumb, I like couldn't get down with rancid because I was like, Oh, they play on MTV. Like that's, 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 that's you know, fake. Now I'm a 16 year old at that point, you know? So I obviously recognize that uh, my, my, the nuance was, was a bit off there, but um, you know, it, it's, People try to rewrite the stuff. They try to act like, like you're talking about, like to circle it back to what you're saying, to be like, just because you like corn and Deftones and um, Cold Chamber, you know, what have you, it doesn't mean it's hardcore. It doesn't mean that like the ethos behind those bands should be what hardcore is. Like hardcore is its own thing. You can like more than one genre, bro, but it's it's it doesn't have to be all the same, like this the same you know ordeal. Um, you know, it, and it, it's funny what whole, like kind of like what loopholes people try to find to kind of, you know, like write, write it back in there. Like, it's like, yo, I like, I don't know, like, I like a lot of seventies music, you know, like, it's like, I like, 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 you know, like black flag and stuff like that. The Eagles were a band at the same time as black flag doesn't necessarily, you know, they play guitars. That doesn't mean it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, well, think about this. There's probably more in common with black metal and its origins and punk than people will tie yes. in. But the thing that comes from it is the concept now. I mean, obviously, I do. Yeah, I love. I, I literally just bought from the flea market a fucking bootleg mayhem. Hell yeah, but fuck. I still fuck with. I still fuck with all the shit that came out in the late '90s. I love Cradle of Filth. I still mm -hmm. go see them when they come through. There's uh, so many different bands at different levels. I mean, Behemoth is still one of my favorite bands yeah. I see live now. And you can't you can't argue, oh, well, Behemoth was an underground band, but their scene was underground. Certainly. And there's interesting differences when people put the wall up. Oh, well, they can't be the same. It's like, I don't know. I, I <laughs> We've seen some wild fucking black metal shows in really small spots. Mm -hmm. We've seen some crazy shit. And thrash, death metal, and, and especially, um, I could talk to this because I was young. In the early 90s, I was able to go to death metal shows where I knew what hardcore yeah. was. And those shows were mad small. Seeing Cannibal Corpse in front of maybe 150 people, seeing you know this stuff was eye-opening. And yet, as now into hardcore, there are bands with hardcore kids who are playing death metal. Mm but they will not sell 60 tickets to open for Cannibal Corpse. So what they do is is they 
play hard in front yeah. of hardcore kids, and everyone's like, "Oh, this is cool." And it's like, uh, it, the the line gets murky because it all got homogenized with streaming. Yes, and I'm I'm it's in, in a weird space because, yeah, I I literally. I, I was too busy with the fest. I didn't read an email, so Vomit Fourth is going to play with the guy who does the bad 21 plus oh, shows with death yeah. metal bands. Yet, we're doing Creeping Death. We're doing, doing that one too. Sans- I'm doing Vomit Fourth. We're doing, yeah, we're doing Sansugabog. Oh, yeah. We're doing, you know, we do, we, I, I'll do these shows, but if those bands were like, hey, we want to play the fest, I'd be like, nah, you're a death yeah. metal band. Go play, well, death. So play like, Maryland. Death I do fest. a mixed fest. So I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. fine. But I'm not going to say that like hardcore from Ohio sang with Sugabog. I'm not going to say that. Like it's it's like, you know, because they're like a, they're a death metal band. Bands like Undeath are like death metal bands. 200 Stab Wounds, Creeping Death. I will say with that stuff, everybody I've kind of met in that kind of like new death metal world, um, you know, at least with those people, they're not saying like, yo, we're hardcore bands. Like, you know, whereas there was a time where people were kind of playing stuff that was like definitely like just deathcore or or just death metal and being like, oh no, we're like a hardcore band. And it, it's like, you know, we, it's kind of like a, a big circle back to what we're talking about. People want to co-opt hardcore because hardcore is cool, and uh, and it's got its own organic and like the the actual spirit behind hardcore is we don't need the rest of the world. And so people like want that, that devil may care kind of like they want to be associated with that. Well, the thing is, is that kind of what we're talking about is I feel like um, people need a reminder recently. It's like, Hey, this is supposed to be a counterculture that we're involved in. We're supposed to be, you know, against uh, a lot of the things in out there in the world. And, uh, you know, and but we're supposed to be for each other, and you know, you, like, you know, you get you go see, I don't know, like, think think about this, uh, Woodstock '99, bands like uh, Corn played, uh, Limp Bizkit, um, you know, Raging Some Machine, uh, you know, what have you, like new metal of, of the time, you know, what what have you, yo, that's like a big old cultural event. It's like, yeah, sure, the music's aggressive and loud, you know, whatever. But there's not like a, like a, it's a mainstream cultural event. It, it it's not going against any grain, and you know, I I think now more than ever, it's we should have pride on being like, hey, you know, like like we run this world ourselves, like, um, because it's just it is it is just such a weird thing to think that you know people are like, oh, like how how can I make this a career? You know, it's, it's, well, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you the best kind of example here. Uh, you talked about bro dudes in Blink-182. Mm-hmm. I, I seen Blink-182 at like a small stage of the Warp Tour, but I'm at the fucking Warp sure. Tour. What fucked, what fucked me up was Love and Rancid. Mm-hmm. And the first time they played Bigger Club, oh, it's shirtless dudes just pushing. The same thing that was happening at Pennywise shows. Yep. There was a minute in the 90s where shirtless white dudes, which what we have termed white male aggressors, would just like legitimately like when Dropkick was sick, it was sick. And then one day all of a sudden everyone. And so you look at all the biggest bands that came from an actual smaller punk Mm -hmm. scene, all grew massive 
giant audience who created huge legacies and god bless all them dudes because everybody everybody in dropkick and rancid are legit are. rock people like, I, 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 I won't i won't i won't speak on blink way too because i don't fucking yeah. know them and they married in a kardashian so that's yeah. already bleh. but the whole thing is is that you sometimes as a band do not get to control the fan that's base true. however i saw corn i seen deftones as a young kid, I thought they were sick. Yeah. The first time they played with 311, it was bro, push met, shirtless dudes. After we all got kicked out for fighting, I'm like, I'll never see these bands again. Yeah. And that's and for because us, we're a community. Yeah. Hardcore people are a community. I remember the first time I met you. I remember the first time I booked your band. And I told you it, when I booked um, MAD, mm -hmm. as long as you have a band, I'm going to support you because you support hardcore. Yep. The thing that is different is that's a social commerce thing. That's a social currency. You support us. You put our bands on. You've come up here just to be a fan of shows we've oh, yeah. done. There is a – this is a water wheel is my biggest term I've been using. It's that thing that spins the wheel, the fucking – that spins the fucking grinding stone that makes the shit happen in the mill. We have to support each other because if we don't support each other, we're culpable – Having to buy into the same system that we're now talking about. The agents, the AEG, if we can't self-support, and I, I give all the credit in the world to unfortunates like the early victory bands because they were dealing with a DIY society. They were dealing with a completely cash society, so they don't have metrics of just how much. I mean, I'll say here, there's no way the Gorilla Biscuits record didn't sell almost a million records, but you know, Jordan had to pay out some money if they fucking said he did. Yeah. So there's a lot of our, there's a lot of our forefathers, a lot of our greatest heroes in hardcore that happened in a time when the metrics weren't as important and things were handwritten in pencil or maybe scribbled out. And, but you had this insane nineties culture that was fucking massive in comparison once as as you know, if you if people who study this or know about this shit, eighty eight was the eighty eight and the eighty nine was like the golden years, and then ninety ninety one turned into all the straight edge guys trying to sound like the indie rock yep. stuff, and the things that really brought hardcore kind of any kind of bigger crowds again was the not the shit that eventually would be like the earth crisis and all this stuff, and it came from different politics and zine writing and all these things that are now kind of antique but those bands put a like a breath of fresh air in hardcore and they didn't have the benefit of this kind of accounting and all this shit so you know like a band like strife could play in front of 500 kids maybe they got 200 bucks <laughs> you know like there's bands that could have used and, and, and i should stop and say why money becomes important is a band like all war doesn't tour for a living but if a band like All War were to tour for a living, every dollar helps them because they're all grown yeah. men who left their families to do this shit. But money lets bands stay on the road. Money makes sure shit like, you know, you know, T-shirts get bought and all this kind of like replenishment. It's not just like it doesn't go into the coffers, especially at that time. And when shows were five and seven dollars, you got to think about how many shows bands weren't paid equitable to what they would be paid Lord, now. Yeah. There's a lot of bands who didn't get treated well. And then so later on, they get, like there's almost like the it's what it's why we have to see the Chromax problems. Everybody in the Chromax thinks that because Metallica knew who they were, they should have been Metallica too. <laughs> you know, and it's like it's not that I way. Know, not. So there's this weird boomerang effect where some of the bands 
who really blew up. There was a time at the end of the 90s it was hard to book them because they went from getting ripped off and ripped off and ripped off and ripped off to being like, no, 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 we're stopping yeah. this. And and they grew to that level. It's a weird, it's a weird fucked up thing when you talk – like I talked to a lot of the older guys from um, – uh, Richie's story was great about the – the youth of today tour and then you talk to other people and that tour was so important when they first did their first lp tour and so many people's first hardcore thing or this show like it's a crazy thing eddie powerhouse that was one of the first tours he can remember of east coast bands coming Switch. through like dude it's like these big impactful moments and they might have been getting paid 100 bucks a night yeah. you know think about like the importance of this stuff so now the weird reaction is there are bands now who can't really get a five hundred dollar, but because they're part of that team, they're on this booking agent. They got the manager, they got the agent. They're getting their five hundred dollars okay. now. Who they're getting it from? So it ain't going to be me or you if we're smart enough to know. Listen, this is you're, you're getting blood from a stone. But the the fucking sad thing is, there are more people who would rather get the five hundred dollars than do that first U.S. tour and learn, get that first bit of experience. Think about every time you toured and you stayed at someone's mm -hmm. house. Think about every time every time you met a promoter who you never knew, just talked to them through email, and you played for them, you gave them a T-shirt, and you built a relationship. Back to your thing is, our community was built on this, like, handshake respect. Yes. And unfortunately, at different times, there were people who, who at the booking level or people at the venue level disrespected that handshake. Yeah. And it did make some of these bands a little bit more weary. But I, I'll have to go back to the same thing. I think the pro core stance isn't being uh, my 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 crosshairs aren't on a code orange. They're not on a harm's way. They're not on a terror. They're not on a turnstile. Not on an angel dust. They're not on bands that built themselves up organically. It's the sidestep. It's that all I have to do is take this elevator and I don't have to climb up the ladder. Not realizing is without hitting all them steps on that ladder. You're not building a process. So that next band you're going to be in, hey, remember I was in that? Why well, didn't book your last band? Because you had this booking agent who wouldn't work with me. So why would I help this band yeah. out? Not realizing if they walked up that ladder and they played for Ace in Richmond, they played for Joe in Philadelphia, they played for whoever, um, you know, Scanlon yeah. in New York, and they played with uh, Jimmy uh, Hardcore Stadium in Boston. Mm -hmm. We'd all have a relationship so the next band would happen. These people don't get that. And so I've seen it on my end. The laminate necklaces, the tour manager, even though how are you going to pay a tour manager when you're getting 150 bucks a night? Those people in those bands, they don't even build a handshake hello relationship. Big shout out to Sansugabog, who actually I was busting around their balls when they played the terror yeah. show. The Kubacon kids the same way. Like We build relationships by shaking hands and getting to know each other. I don't have to be the biggest fan of your band, but if I see that you're a normal human... We can we can get to a situation where we're like, oh, you know what, that guy's not so bad, you know. Like, I think that the circumventing of all that, the the friendships, the social shaking hands, because hey, someone else pays us, we don't even know, and it's like, then they'll write, hey, thank you, and I'll get at it. And it's like I don't even talk to you. Yeah, like, I don't know who you are. Like, I don't even know. I, any, not, I don't even know anybody you know, in your band. Like, I don't like. Yeah. I even, like like we didn't interact. Like I, you know, I emailed yeah. some dude that I don't even know who they are because like. It, it, I mean, for me, it even sometimes it's like, well, every time X agency hits me up, it's a different person emailing. 
it, you know, it'll be like, I'm not going to go into names because it's, I actually do like booking these shows because I want my scene to be able to see these bands. So it, it's like, it is a double edged sword here. I, I want my community to experience this, but where that's, that seated is my love for my community. You know, it, it's not my love for, uh, you know, the, the couple hundred dollars I make on some shows, you know? Um, but like, it's, the thing is, is like, you know, you, you get this rotation of people where I'm like, who's this person? Who's the assistant this month? You know, that I'm like emailing the the day sheet to after the fact where it's just like, well, did, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I just, I liked it when it was like band had a show. They had, you know, if they had a set guarantee or, or I gave them a percentage, like, which I, I, I tend to try to get people to agree to now because I actually pay out more when shows end up being percentage based. Uh, and it's just less stress for me, but it, it's like, you know, I, the question I ask is, Hey, did y'all have a good time? You know, does was, was it good? You know, whatever. If I'm just kind of like handing money to some TM and then like, you know, reporting to somebody who I don't even know who they are like, you know, after it, it's like, okay, like, yeah, these are the numbers that you're asking for. Um, you know, it's those people don't even ask like, Hey, how was the show? Did the band enjoy it? Like, you know, like were kids excited? Like, you know, they don't, it's, they don't care that, you know, they, they don't care. And, and it's like, Hey man, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not a crazy person. I, I mean, well maybe, but I, I, I'm not in the respect that I'm in this for any kind of money. <laughs> you know, I think you gotta be, you got you gotta be on, on something uh, to kind of, you know, be on that. It's, I want people to have a good experience on both sides of the stage. You know? I think, um, what happens is also if there's not a local promoter like yourself or myself or a lot of these regional areas, things get homogenized pretty quick. Oh, yes. And it, and especially with the Twitter and the Instagram and the dominance of a name in social media, I've been seeing in these really weird small places that are doing these two-day fests now, they're picking the name that they see everybody on Twitter talking mm-hmm. about, and they're flying them out, and I'm going – Maybe they, uh, maybe they're not ready to play there, or maybe you're paying them to fly out because you have. And, and this is the thing I, I have to say to young promoters: is you have to know how many people come to your oh, shows, yeah. and then you have to go. Do the people in my actual town, not the people from Twitter, want to see this band? And that's what you're saying is when you say you want to care. I want the kids who are young to see the creeping yes. deaths. I want to see them without 21 plus. Mm-hmm. I want to see them without barricades. Okay. Because I want the kids here to not go, oh, that sucks. We don't have this. Everybody wants to have, you know, it's like, it's kind of like everybody. And and so that's the thing. So when I see this homogeny where a band who's not even done a U.S. tour, who's talked on Twitter, talked on Instagram, oh, they're going to play in the middle of the Midwest part of Canada. Or, hey, we're going to have you play here. You're like, are you sure that people are going to care? Or are you just nervous and you're trying to have the hottest thing? And it's like, what's hot? should be what came through your town and packed a fucking well. room yeah, and did well. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is there's like this secret hit maker people that try to pop this stuff up, but the numbers that the promoters, and that's why we keep talking about numbers in this conversation is the numbers tell the tale. If the band does good, the sad thing is at a certain point, they're not going to fuck with us no more because they're going to go up the it's level. True. That's level very up. true. Yeah. But, but at the same time is a good band, like a terror, mm-hmm. a good band, like a man ball 
Yeah, they may say, listen, this is the one where we play the barricades. We're on the tour. We don't have to sign a pole. But, you know, the next one, they're going to say, make sure we work with those guys because we don't yeah. want to lose. We don't want to lose We don't want to lose our yeah. community for a couple hundred dollars on the tour that's going to be a little bit smaller. Yeah. And I think I think what you said really got to me. And it says, it's like, yeah, like there, there, there are people that listen to a lot of different kind of music. The punks really have a different tie into them because their band turnover is so much. Like the dirtier, dredgier, like the Regional Justice Center is like a good mm-hmm. example for that played this hardcore. Those kind of bands, like Spine's a great example. Mm-hmm. Like cool band, middle of Midwest, but like they're never going to be a terror sized yeah. band. They're just like they're from the middle of nowhere, Omaha. But they did tours. Every time I've seen them play, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're just a hardcore band. Yeah. And those kind of punk bands, they put out a bunch of records and they go, let's do another project. Like that was fun. That's, that's what they going. do. It's like you, you get like a demo, like, you know, a demo, maybe a seven inch, like, like not everybody is Warthog. That is like a, and like, and that band even yeah. maybe even plays what five times a year. And they're like top of the pops for like that style. And that goes to show you something over there. It's it. See, I like a lot of that music. The problem with a lot of it is like we're, what we're talking about is we want to get people to see stuff that they're. It's like if you're into uh, Creeping Death, but you're also in a Neverending Game, I want you to be able to see both those things. The thing about the punk world is that um, it's it's a lot more insular. Like um, I like you know even splitting hairs, I'm able to book bands like Gel or Bib pretty easily, but like you know like that like kind of like uh. Uh, like the one side of punk but once we start getting into like you know um stuff like oh like like maybe like a warthog or like uh like an impalers or or something that like you know it's just like like even deeper into the punk world they play to their own like you know like they they work with their own they play to their own um kind of thing so it's like in a way they've they may have it figured out, you know, but at the same time, it, it, it's like uh, it, it it's somebody like myself who like likes that stuff. It's hard to, you know, kind of kind of like work, uh, you know, with them um, and try to incorporate that into into kind of stuff that I do. But, you know, what was it? I was going to say that um, something that you were talking about that, that kind of got kind of got like, you know, my 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 brain kind of th- thinking a, a certain way is that, you know, We've got, you know, pe- people out there right now are, are doing this thing where it's it's so weird because the, the taste of a young person is so ubiquitous right now. And so you have these people like you were talking about in, in kind of like uh, making a festival somewhere that maybe shouldn't be having a festival. No diss to anybody listening. I You know, it's it, I'm not do whatever you want to do, but it's like, OK are you an easy place to travel to? Are you, what are your numbers normally? Are you bringing a lot of people to, to, you know, to stuff on a regular basis, you know, but then again, other side of the coin, you look at like something like LDB, uh, you know, started out in this Midwest blood that started out pretty small. You know, that was like maybe at most like 300 people type deal initially. And, you know, and that blossomed into something else that, you know, that like, occupies like a its own space now but they started out small they weren't flying anybody in you know they were like oh we're gonna bring in a bunch of people from our world regionally and that you know like 
we're going to get kind of this region of the country all together at once. So you got people coming in from whatever. If you're just flying cats in from California, East Coast, you know, what have you, it's like, okay, you you might get the pool, but what if you don't? You're on your ass. Like, you know, like you're going to the you're going to the bank, you're going to the ATM. Yeah. And it's like that's yeah. a bad experience for everybody. You know, you don't you don't, you know, you don't want to do that. And uh and so it, it it's but this is what happens. This is what happens when you like you're talking about when you do your promotion and your decision making based off of the internet as opposed to what you experience organically in your scene. And actually, th- this is the point I remembered I was trying to make. Um, you talk about a band that comes through whatever city and does well. And uh, maybe they're doing good online. You know, Maybe they're selling records. Maybe they're getting plays. Maybe they're not. Maybe they come to your scene and just for whatever reason, your scene likes that band. I can think of a prime example. Uh, pre- Lockdown, um, end it came to Richmond. I I didn't do the show. Somebody else did it, and it was in like a basement, and there was like maybe like thirty people there, you know. But it but everybody that was there was all friends. It was like me and like the Killing Pace people, like what would become that and and stuff, and like and we're having a blast, you know, just all moshing in this basement together, building that rapport with these guys, having a good time, you know, what have you. Well. The, you know, I thought about it when I was like doing comeback shows as like the big, as like the big scenes were like Bay did their comeback shows, LA, Philly, you know, what have you. I was like, all right, I'd set up one and then I set up another and I was like, oh, Indian's got to play. They don't live too far away. And I had a great time seeing them last time I saw them. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, they should play. Well, ever since then, they've had like banging sets. Every single time they played, and that's that's permeated within our scene. And obviously, you can see with that band, it's happening everywhere else. They're they're just they're you know they had a, I saw that they had a good this is hardcore set. Their record release shows you know went well, and it, it's like that's organic. When I book that band, I message the drummer, or I message Akil or something like that, and and they're smashing, you know. Um, and and, and you know what? Like here's another thing. Uh, and, and then I'll, I'll let you ask whatever. Um, I went to their record release for their like date, their flat spot debut like ages ago. I wrote up with like Brace War. And uh, one thing that I noticed is I was like, man, kids from this scene really care about this band. And I wasn't prepared for that. Um, but I was like, man, they are going so hard for this band. Um, and I was like, and I know that's because those people are a part of the community and bring up their community and are involved in the community and stuff. If you're one of those bands that your entire operation is what can our agent get us on, you're not going to get that love at home, wherever home is. You're not getting it. Like may, maybe you will just because of notoriety, like people know who you are. But if you didn't build that organically, people aren't going to care. And, yo, if people don't care about you, where you're from, that says something. Well, I think if it, if in talking to what these people are like, typically when they come through town, they're not sociable. They tend to sit in our green yep. room if they play underground arts or they sit to themselves. And it's because they're not a part of a bigger community. So 
they don't have these kind of uh, even like hey there's probably not the person in their town that they're friendly enough with like hey how do you do this Mm -hmm. and that's why you have such a disconnect because they do not have the thought process of like, nah, I just want to play with my friends. Like, you know, they'll say all the right things when they have to, they have perfect dialect for social media. Everything's curated in the proper manner, but socially you can see the bands that we're talking about here in the, in the pro core fashion, 90% of them don't have relationships. And that's where it goes back to like, in, in, a, in a perfect hardcore society, like we were talking about, you know, I'm wearing a Val shirt. You're wearing the Youth yes. Today shirt. Them bands all toured on their own name, met friends. 20 years later, they still have friends. What I see in, and, and, I, and this happens is, I mean, it's been going back since we started touring. In the last 20 years, there's band, guys who just rifle through the roll of decks and become like jobbers. Oh, I'm playing in this band now. And they're playing that. And 90% of their social interactions are hitting their few friends up that may remember them from the last band. Hey, I'm coming through town. I, you know, I'm going to check it. And I, ugh, I fucking hate that world, but that's that pro. That's that, that's that crazy pro world is people that don't have an organic friendship with you, but like, Hey, you remember I played last time? Do you want to hang out? It's like, well, my G I got about 70 other things I got to do. I got friends I'm going to hang out and eat with. And I play with you. Like, unless it's somebody you build a real bond with, there are people who would rather be part of tour life and laminate life and barricade life and um, autograph life. And I've signed some boobs in uh, Belgrade, Serbia, or whatever the hell we were at. And I, I fucking unfortunately had to play some European festivals with giant barricades. But you know, when I was standing out there and there was 20,000 people, I went... Where's the five dickheads who actually know who the fuck? We yeah, are? I wasn't going. I wasn't going. They're all here for me, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, and I didn't go. I didn't go. Man, I want to do this the rest of my life. I was like, I fucking hate the idea of some dude having his hand near my asshole because my foot was on the barricade, so kids could sing yeah. along. And I was like, this sucks. Maybe this makes me too punk rock. But I think the 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 avenue to success is should not be through the underground. And I think that the stepping stone process that the pro core world does, they're faking the funk with this fucking, oh, you know, this merch cut shit's bullshit. It's like, you'll be mad when someone touches your money, but how many times have you fought and said, we're not playing if there's a barricade? Yeah. And that's why something I don't ever see them mm-hmm. say. Because the quid pro quo is, if we play for more people, our band gets bigger. The only complaints they have is the money part. And that goes right back to the thing. You know, when you have a, when, how many times do you play the show for a friend and you didn't even ask for what the money was and the friend hands you the money and you're happy because they not only threw you up, they hooked yep. you up and, that's, and, and, it, and it shows you a relationship of trust. Hey, I know this person. They're going to take, they're going to do the right thing by me and they're recommendable. Someone wants to play Richmond. There's not a, I wouldn't go say anyone else. It's ace. Oh, yeah. You know, like them guys are, you know, like that's the way it should work. And so these people are foreign to all this. And again, I, I like what you said about, you know, like it, it's not it's it's all really important as a small fest or even if you're just trying to do something that's bigger than the average four or five person show. If you keep it regional, you can guarantee the people in the regional area, three to four hours. Spending, I mean, in the Midwest, God bless these oh, kids. They drive so far, bro. They have to drive far. And I mean, 
you know, them Des Moines, Iowa, and Minneapolis, like, ah, that's not far of a drive. Or like in the East Coast, or even up, like, fuck, I ain't driving that fucking shit. No, fuck you. Like the Midwest kids, the Texas kids, man, they fucking trooper out, and I and I and I give them a lot of love for it. But the thing about it is, is you start with a regional build, then you make people. Oh man, that looked like a lot of fun. I'd like to go out there and do mm-hmm. it. You know, like, and, and I mean, now that happened for this hardcore. Like, we got lucky with Terror, and we had a couple bands that were traveling just because the same summer we started, Sound of Fury started. So there was one or two bands that were already traveling back from something else that it made it plausible. But early on, it, you know, it was still mostly Northeast and Mid Atlantic yeah. bands and not really too much else because we couldn't afford the mm-hmm. flights. I mean, the only way we got Terror is we split. Terror played a show in Boston. They played a show in Philly, and that covered they they fronted their own flights. And if Scott Vogel hadn't said that, I don't even know if there would have been in this hardcore. He was one of early supporters because I wrote him a letter back when I was a kid. We couldn't book the spare, so I booked this uh, buried alive on a fuck on their fucking demo. That's how hardcore is yes. made. And without these relationships, and I and I and that's why I keep going back to this. Hardcore is more about a relationship than a band. As much as it sucks, yeah, like dude. I can't tell you. I mean, look at Bob Wilson. The dude's in 78 bands. People will, the, depending on what era you met mm-hmm. Bob, depends on what, you know, what band. Oh, that's what, that's the area. And that's the stuff that it should yeah. be, you know, like, you know, like, and you can, can take it back to you today. Like, Oh, did you meet, did you meet Sammy for the first time when he was young and he was doing in youth? Or did you meet him when he was in grill biscuits? Or did you meet him in that one little bit of time? You know, like when he was doing shelter, like, the same kind of correlations to our forefathers are there, you know? And I mean, it, it just, it just says to me that we have to speak out and not to cry all the stuff, not to be like, fuck you. You don't need a record label. Yeah, fuck you. Good. I mean, uh, we can't take it to the crazy level mm-hmm. of like the Gilman street. Oh, if it's on a major level or has a UPC code, you can't That's play. Ridiculous. Like, yeah. Like, that, no. Or MMR and, and, you know, maximum rock and roll used to go that route. We're not saying that. What we're saying is, is, until you're at the point where the business of the band is untenable yes. or I have so many fucking emails about where to play, we need someone, that's when you need a, a third party to come and say, look, you got a lot on your plate right now and we got to, you know, we got to organize this so you're not losing, you're not overplaying, you're not, you know, because the next thing that happens is like, a, like you mentioned, Gridiron and uh, Pain of Truth, another oh, perfect. one. Pain of Truth know. is a perfect example of this. You and 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 it goes back to what you said about your conversation with Mike Shaw. These bands are still like high five, like oh, what's right, you know, like hey, we don't know. And then there's a promoter going, hey, I hit them up and they didn't hit me back. Fuck them guys, like whoa, whoa, look, stand down, young man. You gotta understand is right now, everybody wants to show that it's fucking painted truth and fucking yeah, gridiron. And so you may not, you know, like all, you know, they're not used to make a telephone call and say all systems are busy right now. Yeah, but that's when. That's the kind of stuff that rarely happens where most bands can socially interact with their friends' bands, socially figure out, oh, you're on tour? Crazy, we're on tour. You know, um, there was a time when Blacklisted was supposed to tour with Comeback Kid and then the tour didn't happen. Punishment was going to do a last tour, so we booked stuff with Blacklisted and they said, all right, yeah, we're going to do it. They're like, no, no, we're going to do Comeback Kids. So then we're like, all right, we're going to play smaller venues. We're not playing with Blacklist as the first U.S. tour. Then they're like, no, no, we're not doing the tour again. We could do it. So Punishment and Blacklist first tour, we lost some of the holds we had in mm. rooms because I was booking yeah. myself because they didn't know what they were doing with right. Comeback Kid. But because of the social interactions, 
Blacklist's first tour wasn't booked by a booking agent. In fact, a great thing is Andy Royce from Meltdown was just booking bands, and, and he was booking his own tour, and then here's the trick. Hey, do you want to help us out? And anybody, like, yeah, I can, I can help you with a tour. And then little by little, like how you said about what you learned from hardcore and how to be your own person, Andy Royce created a career in the music industry by going out and being in a band and playing drums and then understanding how to route shows together. Mm-hmm. And then he started booking for one band. He was booking for another band. You know, his band Hostilities played second on This Is Hardcore on Saturday. And people go, like, oh, what's that band? I'm like, oh, that's Andy Rice's band. And he booked so many bands for This Is Hardcore from 2006 to 2016. How do you not say, all right, you want to play? Fuck it, you're on. I mean, like all the years. I didn't know that was him. On. Interesting. Yeah, he, and, and he, yeah. And he's got Josh Gabriel who did Trust Kill. They put the record out as Bullet okay. Tooth. And the thing is, is in this water wheel of commerce and, hey, you know, it's not the same cabal of I owe you. It's like, oh, Andy was in all these bands. He did all these things. Yeah, we have an earlier spot for sure. him. But let it be known, it was Andy Rice just trying to help out friends that led him to be in the guy who booked uh, fucking Iron Age and Cold World and Blacklisted and basically booked the entire mid-2000s or later 2000s mm-hmm. into the early 2010s just by being a guy who could do it because there wasn't this evil empire of like, ha-ha, this, band this band's available. Yeah, we'll book them. And that's another thing I wanted to bring up. It's a real recent that a band that's pretty fucking small. It's only been in the last, I want to say from like 2000. Eight nine, I started seeing bands that were really not ready for a booking agent get leverage. Yes, well, so, what you'll see with those two is this, and not naming names, you know what have you, but you, you'll see these people get fed on these bigger tours, right? Then yeah. when the time comes to do their headliner, if if the only reason that they were getting out there was because they were being fed for these bigger tours, but didn't really like build anything up organically on their own well when they go to do these headliners and they may not be ready for that yet or just like because of how their operation was they're just honestly not built for it no one shows up and it really just shows that it's like okay you were kind of like management you were like agent fodder you know like you people weren't coming to see you maybe they're having a good time but you were like you were like kind of like secondary you know, you were just like you were an appetizer by comparison to the main course of of whatever, um, and and that happens. But I mean, also you talk about Andy Rice in this era. Okay, this is a hardcore person booking hardcore bands. Uh, you know, like that was playing in hardcore bands still. You know, like yeah. I like one of my first shows ever was a meltdown gig. Uh, in 2000, yeah, it was a uh, DTN. Trash Talk, Meltdown, and I think TUI opened, like 2007. Damn. It was, um, like, 2007. Damn. So TUI was, like, super new. Maybe, like, maybe one of their first, like, few shows. But, uh, you know, so, like, that's somebody that was still actively doing stuff that's, like, on my book of my friends, you know, and, and, and what have you. It wasn't, like, this person that came in from, like, I'm from a completely different world, and I'm going to book – like this stuff that I like, eh, I know enough about to be dangerous, you know? And I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that happens more now than ever, you know? Cause it's like a guy like Matt Pike. Well, he 
obviously was a guy involved, you know, like, like a guy like Jake Zimmerman is obviously somebody that's like been involved, you know, what have you. Um, but you know, other people out there, like, you know, I, I, I could think of a few names where I'm like, I'll look at kind of their roster and I'm like, this is a pop agent. This is a pop agent that yeah. just so happens to have X band on their roster. And it, it's like, yo, I mean, you don't, you don't know about this. Like, you know, they're just diversifying their roster so they can eke into this world. Because that's another thing is the crossover from pop is, is always plausible. Like, Oh, we do the right things. You know, this band builds up. We can get them into the other world. It's like, there really isn't another world for hardcore. It, no. th- you might be able to get a certain band at a certain time to do a certain shit, but ultimately it's still mm-hmm. hardcore to, to talk about the, the way that a band really cements themselves is live performances. <laughs> and, and, and you need to be outstanding in the true sense of what outstanding is, because that's what, how many, there's so many bad bands that release records because they heard you today. Like the, the, the 89, 90, uh, straight edge bands are so fucking God awful. It, cause it goes carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon oh, copy. And you're like, Oh awesome. man. And as a kid, you start listening. Like I was like trying to check all the, all this old school shit. You're like, Oh, some of this shit is terrible because something's really cool. And then something's copied yeah. from it. It's this organic process. And like, what you said about bands that were always available to make that 150 open. Yeah, there's plenty of them. And some of them got signed to labels. Some of them got signed to labels be like, oh, this band's going to blow up. And I'd be like, I've never seen anybody with a fucking t-shirt for they this go. band. And then next thing you know is, what happened to the band? Oh, yeah, they did their own tour and it didn't mm-hmm. work. And, they, and then people are like, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, no, it's not. Name somebody who wears the shirt for the numbers, you know? And, and that's still evident. It's a little bit harder now because now – the minute a band has one song, it's on Bandcamp, and then there's the immediate uh, big cartel and the T-shirt. So the, the commerce is quicker, the merch is quicker, but it's still you still have to see a band in your town as a promoter and see what who's who's watching this, who's going off, because without it, you're really lost. Now we haven't had scale because they had COVID. The fucking oh, dirty ass Malachi was right. ha- uh, was around with some Good job, so they didn't play with us. <laughs> Yeah, so they were, we canceled the shows and uh, they canceled the show would end it at the end yeah, of the year in 2019. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was kind of funny because we're like, oh, well, uh, I guess we're not doing Scal yet. So I imagine we're, we're working on a Scal show for the so, fall. I assume people will be there because they're getting popular. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. But but at the same time is what's what's weird is with their agent, they're like they're not they're not as uh, aggressive. They're not like. We need to play the biggest room. They're like, let's 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 just walk this dog in, you know. Like, and it shows that whatever they teamed up with, they teamed up with someone who understands you have to grow a band. Smart. And that's the other Wait, thing man. that happens is the the bands that do find connections because there are and that, and it's like we've beaten up on the we've beaten up on managers, we've beaten up on booking agents. There are people who know how to walk 100%. the dog until the mm-hmm. until they can get off the leash and do what they yeah. need to do, but they're few and far between. Because it goes back to what I said, so many bands are on a um, the the booking agent was on a commission based process. They're hitting people for the money, and they're trained almost. To, if you're an honest person, you're not going to be a booking agent. Because 
I'll tell you what, I was helping out year of the night, but she's like, I want to give them this. I'm like, ah, that's a little too high for these guys. We got to dial it down. They're not ready for that. You know, like, let's be honest, because you don't want, but as a booking agent, because I was a promoter for so many years, who wants to sell a band? Because that's the term is sell a band. I don't want to sell a kid a band $500 over what the kid could even potentially bring in because then the band looks bad in that town. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, they played. They played for the local promoter, and they asked for all this money. It's never their booking agents. Always like this fucking band and asked for all this fucking money. For and sure, getting blamed. I, yeah. and, and you've seen it, and I've seen it where the band gets blamed for a greedy agent. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you are in that bad position where you're like, like if you're you know, if you're in a position where you have no one that can advise you on who should be your booking agent and your band is legitimately growing to that level where you need someone to manage those things, you got to take it to someone who's not immediately trying to sell you that you're going to be Motley Crue in three years, you know? And, and, and what the other thing that happens is, and I've said this for years, managers and booking agents are essentially pimps. They make money by you being out yep. on the road. Some of them have good ties with the booking uh, world and they can help you. Some of them are just going to throw you out there or maybe your record label is, t- you know, they've got ends with your record label. Your record label suggests, they're like, oh, well, if the record label suggests this, this might be good. It's like, that's the worst idea ever because your label wants you to sell as much as you physically can, which means keep you on the road. Like, we're going to turn you into a machine. It's like, what kind of machine? Because it doesn't sound like a hardcore machine. It sounds like a fucking shit Yeah, show. I mean, also, if somebody is coming at you being like, yeah, we're going to have you on the road all the time. You're going to be a machine. You're always, you know, going to be like playing to people, whatever. I For like a young green person, I'm sure that sounds awesome. But it's like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I being grown? Like you talked about with Scal, whoever, whoever manages them. Um, and based off of their their trajectory i've i've noticed i was like they must have somebody very particular helping them out because their operation is very different by comparison to a lot of other bands um but i digress uh either that person doesn't want to help you grow and it's just they're using you as an asset they're not they're using you as a resource as opposed to trying to grow you and you know it it, it is there's a difference, you know, for, for, for certain. And that goes, goes back to relationship, you know, and also are you working with somebody that's involved in, I'll be real. If you're working with somebody that's involved in hardcore, chances are they have that community aspect in their heart. So they're trying to like, maybe, maybe not, but they, they might be like, Oh, I, I want to help these guys out because there's a part of me that cares about this in, in the macro sense. If you're working with some, pop agent or manager or, or, you know, promotional company, then, you know, most likely they're like, okay, how do we get, how, you know, how do we get them on as much stuff as possible to get what you're talking about? This commission based stuff, how, you know, get, get them as many gigs as possible so we can get as much commission as possible. And you know, that that's, that's, that's gonna, that you're, you're pulling water out of the well until it's dry at that point. If you're not focused on trying to, you know, help, help that band grow. And maybe you are, maybe you're throwing them on like, you know, bigger tours and, and, and what have you. But, uh, you know, I, I look at, uh, I look at, you know, you can really tell when people foster things that they're involved with. You know, I, I look at like, you talk, we talked about Scout earlier and, you know, I, I think about Che and Ricky with flat spot and they like, you know, they, you can tell that they put a lot of time and effort into bands they put out 
um, you know, from a, from a label perspective. It's not just kind of like records out, here you go. It's out there. I'm done with it. You know, they, they do, you know, like, like a lot of promotion, like, you know, with like end it and what have you and, and other things that they do. Um, so it's, you can always, if you're, it, it, you know, this, if you're in the game, you can always tell when somebody has a team of people around them that care. And you can always tell when people have a team of people around them that don't care, you know? Um, cause it's like, it's organic. I, if I get if I could underline anything about this whole, this entire conversation is it's organic is best. The, the LA gigs that post lockdown Tompkins square, you know, park gig, you know, like, uh, you know, like back law. God, was that last year? May, Jesus. May, 2022, so uh, May 21. Ago, man, it feels way long. May was, uh, May was the LA. April was the, yeah, uh, Thompson. So yeah. it was like the, within two okay, weeks of each so other. So April, May, and then you got the RBS shows, you know, here in Oakland and in yeah. San, San Jose. There wasn't a marketing team behind any of those. There wasn't, uh, you know, some kind of, there wasn't like sponsorships or, you know, you know, what have you. Those are just shows. Those are just shows that happened that thousands of people showed up to because it was organic, you, you know, and, 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 uh, I don't know if there's anybody out there doing this, but if, if there's people out there telling bands, Hey, we can make that happen for you. Any band listening to this has had someone say that to them in some way, shape, or form. That person is lying to you. There's no way to do that, you know, on a business side. That's all community. That's all organic. And uh, and and you know, if you lean into that, it doesn't mean you get you can't have your your management and your and you know people like taking care of you on that end. But if you lean into the organic side of things, I promise you, it will be a positive experience. Um, unless everybody hates you personally. And in that case, there's probably a reason for that, but, uh, you know, it's, that's or, organic. That's what I think is, is the, is the way to go with anything. I'll tell you, um, something that gets lost in the young kid cycle is cause I book so many legacy bands, as mm-hmm. you said, Sammy knows more about younger bands than some of the younger bands that yep. play. And there are a ton of the older bands that will literally say something to the effect of just make sure we're not just playing with a bunch of old, like the older bands that are ripping and yep. rocking, they're making sure to tie in the younger bands now because they grew up understanding they don't want to be the old guy band. It's also a bunch of old guy bands. The bands of the old guys that do it right always ask for, or they may even know, hey, what do you think about that band? Do you think they'd be cool for this? And it, and it gives you, it gives me hope, like, okay, these guys are still trying to stay connected. And I find sometimes, and I, it goes all the way back to a comment you said way earlier, where someone was asking for you, and then they were asking for Killing Pace. The pro core world does way too much towards the booking agent and the actual headliner having way more say than the actual promoter. And so what happens for someone who doesn't realize is the, you know, you have a headlining band and they're like, Hey, we really want this band opening in this town. Now, sometimes they're on the money. Sometimes they're asking for something ridiculous that can't even be done because it's like, uh, yeah, well, paint the truth played here seven times or, you know, like sometimes it's that. And then sometimes 
it's a hookup for a friend. And I always say, usually when a band, a band shouldn't be involved in 20 separate shows or 25 separate shows in picking the opening band. Let the fucking promoter yes, do their job. Yes, thank, thank you. Yes. Let their fucking promote. So much shit uh, in the pro core world gets like, well, here, here's the ad, Matt. If you want to use a flyer, we have to approve it. Oh, I just don't even, I don't even send it, bro. Like, well, that's, well, and that's the whole thing is there's so many little things that is why we kind of took some time here. There's so many little professional things that are, are thrown our way. Oh, we don't get the, you know, not often do we get to pick the opener. Not often. Oh, you know, I don't really want this art or, you know, make sure that you guys dial us in for all the social minutes. Thank God, Chris X. He still deals with Facebook. I don't even make Facebook events. That's all Chris. And he adds everybody because I I don't see the value in it. But we have someone that does that shit. Alex does the Philly Hardcore Show's website. um, Because there's so many little things at the pro core level where it's like, you never ask me how many flyers I give out per show. You know, like, and then I, I, dude, I'll tell you what I learned. I did a show with another promoter as a Mm co-promotion not from the area at all. The marketing bill, like the budget that they like put forth, I would have spent less than a quarter of that. And I was like, am I fucking up? Not charges. But I realized, no, 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 no. Let's, let's keep it real. We still give out flyers here. You know, um, we get asked also like, how much did you spend in marketing? And it's like, well, we're not going to spend a thousand dollars in a show that might have 300 kids on Instagram. You know, like, like, and it goes back to what we're talking about, the organic process. And sometimes these people at the office level, they're so used to dealing at a higher level. Only a couple of them have figured out a way so far. And it's usually the new Turk, like you mentioned, Jake mm-hmm. Z, Max Vicks is uh, getting it I, as well. I like working so with like, Max. Yeah. Because he gets it like, this is the high end. This is the, you know, like we're, we're the handshake people. You know, your band's going to get paid and, and it's, it's few and far between, and, and a lot of it does get built up with building relationships. So, like, um, where you're like, it sucks about the contract, and it's like, I was the biggest dickhead about all this shit for a long time. And because of that, I don't have a great relationship with uh, Sick of It All and now Agnostic Fronts. I mean, I talked to her a bunch of times, Stormy. I'm going to have her on oh. the show, but, like, I've never had a great business yeah. relationship with her. Because I couldn't bend the knee. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to, like, we get, you know, and I'm like, this is, I don't do this for these shows and these shows do well. There was a little bit of ego on my end being like, how can I book all these shows and they do good? And you don't trust me. <laughs> you know, That's like, how I feel too, though. You, you know, I, I get, I get, I get frustrated to the point where, like, especially with the older bands, because I have such a love for all these, I get disappointed when they go to different rooms because it's like, it's like, fuck, I would have done something so much cooler. But then I realized the bands like the Sick of It All's and Agnostic Fronts, they have a Stormy and they stay out of the fucking way. They literally, they very rarely have an opinion where the weird-ass young kid who reads the internet is doing exactly what we were just talking about. Oh, I heard that band's big. Make sure they're on it. It's like, well, I can't get them. So can I put the local band that's going to flyer every show? And that's something else that happened with these um, these tours I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like not having the first or second band be local is eliminating the kid who's excited to play the show, mm-hmm. helping you promote by handing out that flyer. Or and they don't see it sometimes, and it it makes it frustrated to work 
what we can do because we're basically being told, hey, you know, we're really trying to meet this metric number. Okay, maybe it's fair. All right, we'll do it. Oh, now you don't want us to have the opener that we're hoping for. Oh, now you were without a band that's going to be physically making sure people locally know about this besides us promoting it. And it's these things that make people like me and Ace go, what the fuck are we doing here? Why can't we just go back to, you have a date? Okay, I'll get you a date. Okay, what do we do? Boom, done, done. And I think a lot of the bands that are in the first and second and maybe even the third spot on these tours, they're not ready for it. They're really obnoxious on yep. Twitter, yep. <laughs> and that's why we still, we have this yep. podcast. Um, since we beat your ear off for an hour plus, I wanted to get into stuff for sure. just you. Aces, I'm going to have you on the show, and we're going to do you the proper. So oh, I don't want to. Okay, that's right. But but I don't want to have you. I don't. I you know, I, you know I like a nice chronology. I like the the whole brewing. But Mad's got the new yes. record. You are by coastal. Yes. Yes. You live in the Bay, but you're home in Virginia. Where are you at? What are you What are you doing right now? What are the projects coming up right now? What are shit should we be looking out for besides the fact that we're going to bring you back for the full Ace experience? Um, so coming up, uh, let's see. I mean, I'll talk about everything that's kind of like announced, not announced, uh, kind of thing. Um, you know, I got some, I got some Richmond gigs. Uh, let's see what we got here. Um. Yeah, you got you're working with some of the same tour stuff here, but I got the uh, I got um, August. Not really anything going on uh, right now um, for for my promotional stuff, but like I come back uh, hard nine thirteen. I got Creeping Death. Uh, that Creeping Death tour is going to be at the Warehouse in Richmond. Um, we the local on that one is Division of Mine. The rest of that tour package for our date is Two Hundred Stab Wounds, Age of Apocalypse, who I love, and Tribal Gaze. Um, if you, if y'all need information on how to get to the warehouse in Richmond, be it that it's an off the grid place message at Richmond hardcore shows on Instagram. And, uh, we'll get you the address over there. That's my promotional page. So, you know, if you're in the mid Atlantic and want to hit a show in Richmond, check out that page. We, I, I post, uh, every flyer that comes up uh, as I see it. Um, then the following weekend got, got a big weekend, uh, nine sixteen. I got the vein candy regulate. Uh, tour um oh living weapons on that as well got killing pace opening that one uh that's gonna be at canal club in richmond come through that the next day um this show hasn't been announced yet but the sunday one has um so mutually assured destruction was supposed to play uh up north recently and our drummer had an injury that that we had to bail like a couple days before um so we are gonna kind of not replace the full weekend but we're gonna replace it with a show not announced yet, but us combust and a couple other bands are going to play in combust yeah, rips. Combust rips. Shout out to Andrew, it's my boy. They're in Europe right now. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're in Europe, go see combust at the closest location that you can. Us and combust are going to play a show in New Brunswick at Cinco de Mayo on nine seventeen. The day after, I have uh, that's going to be kind of our northern. Ascension record release show for MAD. The day after, we've got Richmond. Uh, the Ascension record release is going to be at the Camel. That's Naysayer. That's Blazing Tomb. Uh, who, if you haven't listened to, they're like kind of like Bolt Thrower meets Marauder. So if you like those two bands, check it out. Um, and uh, a band called Private Hell, like a, like a DB crust band from home. We're going to be playing at the Camel in Richmond. Uh, come through there. And then uh, I guess announced tomorrow, but got uh, in October. 
Vomit Forth, Simulacra, Snuffed On Sight, and a band called Clisty in Richmond on 1015. Um, and then we're also going to do uh, Mutually Assured Destruction is going to do three or four shows in the Pacific Northwest in November um, with uh, with uh, Apex Predator. And um, I also just recorded 12 songs for my side band, Sentinel. That's a band with myself, Mike Shaw from Mind Force, uh, Will from Restraining Order, Jack from Age of Apocalypse, and, and uh, Hudson Valley Guy. Evan. Um, Damn. Oh, yeah. It's, that, that band, for those who don't know, is like um, – we, de- we had a demo that came out last year uh, on Streets of Hate that's kind of like – it's like the influence is like Japanese hardcore punk kind of meets like Iron Maiden. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of like lead work and stuff. So if that sounds like something that would kind of be like, like, you know, up, you up your alley, little motorhead influences in there. Um, check that out. We have uh, a, a full LP. I can't give the full details out on it yet. But we have a full LP that I've recorded and some material for a split. Um, so that'll be out. I'm assuming by end of the year or beginning of next year. Um, yeah, that's that's like all the stuff I, I I got going on right now. I'm just trying to. Oh, ha, I forgot a whole other thing. Sorry, my uh, my schedule is, is is so dense. Um, uh, Dead Heat, Mutually Assured Destruction, and Slow Bleed are going to be playing Texas on the Labor Day weekend. Um, that's going to be Dallas, Houston, and Austin, respectively. You can go to Parade of Flesh uh, on whatever social media platform and find the information for those dates. I'm really. Shout out to yeah, Pat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Involved in probably them. Just, yeah, um, that's my boy. So we're gonna we're gonna do those and uh that's gonna rock. Um and yeah, man, I'm already, you know, already planning MAD stuff for you know next year. Um We'll have to get you you'll have to let me know your availabilities and we'll do a proper Philly show since uh the records dude, out now. I mean, literally you just give me enough lead time and it's a weekend, I'll fly out. So we're good. Yeah. I, I love the Richmond Hardcore Show's Instagram page. The flyers are fantastic. That Mutual Assured Destruction uh, record release literally looks like something out of a grimoire. I love the fucking oh, that's, art. That's precisely I, I, what I wanted to go for. So you know that. Yep. Nah, it, it, I really love when a, again, no ad mats. Let's just make some cool flyers up. Mm-hmm. Um, the diversity in your scene is awesome, and it, it and we're going to get into that when we do your real episode. I'm sorry for going out of turn and having this, this, this thing, but few times, you know, this is a me and Bob, this is me and Greg. We just bullshit and have these kind of conversations, but I saw your Twitter thing. I'm like, this is a fucking way better idea to have on the podcast and just hash this shit out. And I, I've been trying to do more things than just a solo episode where I just kind of banter sure. on. So having you to kind of go back and forth really just helped me kick course, the ball. And, um, I appreciate you. Um, again, Richmond Hardcore Shows is on Instagram. You can reach out to Ace. He's very easy to find. That record, you got to get your hands on it. It's good to see you playing the whole corners. Hopefully to see more of you in the coming year. And just thank you for jumping on. Kind of want to hear his notice. Like, hey, you just want to bullshit and talk about this for an episode? Because this is the first time I've tried this kind of cool. content. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be, you know, kind of a part of the, the first run on this. Anytime, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to talk hardcore music and stuff as you know honored to be here like i said and uh yeah if i for for my passion passion. who's the next when's your when's the next episode when does it come up i'm gonna do so it's funny i was gonna do an episode with my engineer tomorrow kind of talking about 
like I, my my idea was going to be kind of one of a couple things. I was either going to talk about the subject you and I just talked about, or um, kind of like I think I'm going to go kind of more lighthearted to me like just a Patreon episode. I think uh, I just want to talk about records that I enjoy this year, kind of at the halfway mark, and just kind of like pick yeah. his my engineer's brain, Sam. Sam is in uh, uh, for you know those interested. Sam is in Brace War. He's in a band called Earth to Heaven. He's in a punk band called Tempter. He was in Breakaway with me, and he records most bands from Richmond. So he's he's a great guy. yeah. He, awesome. Sam rocks, great man. Um, plays for Naysayer sometimes, but uh, yo yo, sh- shout out to Naysayer. I heard they killed it in Wolf's yeah. Bar, and I just saw them on mm-hmm. your fire. Glad they're I'm glad they're, they're back. I fucking love just, Gary. I love that. They just band. played the record release in Richmond and, and smashed. So it's like you know if you. Dude, they, they still got it, man. I still have I still rock Nays there shirts. I fucking love that band. Oh, such a good front man. Those those are like those are like my old heads that really put me on. Like they were like the first band that let me book them. That was like a substantial band in Richmond. Um, so that's kind of like why I put them on the MAD record release, because it's like, oh, like these dudes have put out records for me. Like they've like let me book them. They've like let me go on tour with them and stuff like that. And it's like that, there we go. Kind of what we're talking about. That's community stuff right there. That's like bringing it yeah. back to the people that like helped you out. But, uh, but yeah, forum passion, check that out. Uh, new, the Patreon episode will be out Friday. You know, the next mainline episode is going to either be, uh, Vogel, um, maybe Pat Flynn. I, I haven't recorded it yet. Um, it'll be the first week of August. Um, I kind of even want to talk to uh, just because he has a podcast I discovered recently. I kind of even want to talk to this dude from the sword. Um, But uh, you know, just like if, for those that don't know, it's a, it's a podcast interviewing people uh, like that are involved in hardcore punk and metal. Uh, Joe has a great episode that came out somewhat recently. um, So check that out. And, uh, and yeah, if, uh, if, if you like my band and want to buy stuff, you just look up mutually assured destruction, big cartel online and I will personally mail you shirts and records. Um, but they, yeah, that's all my stuff, man. Dude, thank you so much. And um, for the record, I've been told by several people, including Zach Barone, that that was the best episode I've ever done as far as Do a it. podcast talking about Do my it. life. And because of that, I'm on hiatus. I'm fucking literally, unless it's talking about a topic, I'm not going down. I'm not going down memory lane for a while because I truly felt like we did such a good job to kind of reiterate it and go back over it. We don't need to. You, so you have the uh, pedigree of such a good interview that I was like sitting there. I was like, you know what? I don't need to talk about this again for. Just reference ever. that one. If you really want. <laughs> like, yeah. Like literally like you want to, you want to know about this, go to forum of passion, check this one out. I'll even reference another podcast. And I want to talk about topics, not real life shit like that. So Ace, you're the man. I really appreciate your opinions. I I love that you're still able to do things from across the country. I love that you're still pushing forward. And um, just thank you for what you do in hardcore, and I look forward to seeing you in the Look forward to seeing you too, buddy. Have a good one. All right, man. Take care. Well, I hope that some of you listening had some counterpoints. Maybe you want to write in and say, hey, Joe, you know what? You're a fucking asshole, and I don't agree with you. Maybe some of you will see some angles that you hadn't seen or things that you were not privy to, but we're going to get Ace back on and we'll go through his whole rigmarole from the beginnings to him starting to do shows and the whole thing. But I got excited because someone was talking a little bit of language like myself and Bob and Greg and others talk about amongst ourselves when we see some shit that just, it feels unnecessary. It feels like some people are 
trying to skip the hard work route or, you know, they want everything done for them, but also keep the name hardcore going. And it's great that people like Ace, for all the things that he does, is also kind of on board the way where we have been. And if nothing else, maybe you just enjoyed a conversation that's a little bit different than how someone got started and what they've been up to. And if there's other topics like this, I'll probably pop them up on the show. But this is really organic, the way that it flowed. I enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. Made sure to check out Forum of Passion. He had a new episode that came out yesterday. That's why this one dropped today. Um, he's really easy to find, and I'll have his links on the Inst- um, the TIHC podcast website. Make sure you're supporting Post America Podcast. Make sure you're supporting Broad Street Breakdown. Neither have been releasing a lot of episodes, but Richie has done a pretty good job. In fact, make sure you check out the one with Matt Carl. It was fucking fantastic. Um, G says that Broad Street's getting back together. Rule of three, we keep saying we're going to get an episode. I'm going to make it happen, fellas. Sorry for not having one. And I really hope that you, if nothing else, gain at least some appreciation that there is people that are still trying to do things the old school way, the hard work way. And anyone who has any questions or comments, hit me up on Instagram. You can find it. It's not too hard. All right. Take care. I'm out of here. Bye-bye.